Hello and welcome to Riot Act episode 77. Slut drops and beatdowns dot 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 at last is the name of the, <laughs> this week's show. We already know that because that's what we should have called last week's show. Apologies for everyone who tweeted us going, can't believe it, you idiots. We fucked up. What can we, we say? We dropped the ball. We dropped the ball massively. Yeah. Um, my name's Stephen Hill. That's the voice of Renfrey Deadman. You can hear croaking away. Yeah. Someone's been to see Slipknot last night. Yeah, someone has. And uh, someone has to apologise profusely, bearing in mind that we're primarily in the auditory yeah. uh, realm. I'm going to sound like a husky motherfucker this um, week and I, I, all I can do is apologise. It so. suits you, mate. I'm not going to lie. Oh, thanks, man. It actually yeah. suits you. Uh, it's because you... I, I was screaming... Uh, uh, fuck, duality. <laughs> I actually went for a piss during duality. I've seen it a million times. Yeah, uh, I, it's because I was screaming, uh, you can't see California without Marlon Brando's eyes mm -hmm. over and over oh, again. Yes, Did you do the mother... Fuck! Of course I did. Of course I did. That's why I sound like Give I did. Well, I'm looking forward to that. I'm going to be buying a ticket to Slipknot at the O2. Like I, I, I couldn't get. I just probably shouldn't say this really, but it's fine. I, I don't expect to get on the guest list for anything, but guest list is tight at Slipknot at the O2. I'll tell you that. So I'm going to buy a ticket like a normal. Like a normal person. Why? I thought it was a bigger deal don't, than I was. Don't piss Obviously. off the Slipknot PRs. I'm not pissing people. them off. They're, they're, I said to them, I was like, dude, I'm really sorry. I've, I've come at this too late. And they were like, yeah, you have a bit. You're not, yeah, you're yeah. Not as you did, you did you ask are. like a few days ago. <laughs> but it's like walking distance. to. I lived in Hammersmith when they did the, the Slipknot at the Hammersmith Apollo with Machine. Oh, that was fantastic. Yeah. And I, I literally went and stood outside the venue and looked through the doors because I couldn't get a ticket back before I was doing this and I was like oh I'll finally be able to walk home from a Slipknot oh, gig mate. and I still I still can't but it's fine I'll, I'll find a ticket you tweet me if you want to sell a standing Slipknot <laughs> ticket uh, on the show this week on the show this week we're going to be reviewing new releases new albums from Caspian Higher Power Pine Grove and the new EP from Holy Fawn plus a very 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 interesting trade-off coming oh, your yeah. way pitting the beige against the ridiculous as two uh, of <laughs> the music critics kryptonite uh go head to head as we discuss the relative quote-unquote merits of the enemy's 2012 musical <laughs> whipping boy streets in the sky and meatloaf's 1993 bloatathon bat out of hell too uh, I, I cannot wait for this so i tweeted just before i got here and that my music highlight of the week has been revisiting Meatloaf's Bat Out of Hell 2. And uh, on a week where Caspian have released a new album, mm. a band who I adore, uh, Holy Fawn of Surprise released an EP, and I went to see Slipknot and uh, Behemoth mm. live. That's pretty incredible, that Meatloaf 2. Spoiler alert, I'm having a miserable time in trade-off <laughs> this week for both of those records. Um, all right, uh, we should say a big thank you as ever to our friends at Musicism. Go over to musicism.net where you can sign yourself up for some courses that will make you musically more interesting than the enemy. And hopefully musically slightly more discerning than Meatloaf. Uh, so uh, if you want to be a better guitarist uh, or if you want to be a better singer or if you want to be a better producer, it's £9.99 pence a month to sign up for all of their online tutorials and you can get 25% off if you put the code RIOT in capital letters in the checkout. Uh, we should also chat about our Patreon page. It's been a while, mm. to be fair. As long-term listeners will know, we, we had a little couple of bumps in the road throughout last year um towards the end of the year particularly um we were sort of saying that we we're going to get back doing writers reviews and we sort of tentatively started doing some more writers reviews but if you want to go over to patreon.com forward slash right podcast 
that's where you can find us if you want to donate any money to the cause at all. Oh, the, the rebellion. The cause of the rebellion. <laughs> the, the biggest media rebellion since... Poor, uh, Careful. Uh, who knows? Um, flashbacks. Yeah. Uh, but um, we've we've done, what is it now, 22 Rioters reviews? I think it is 22, point. yeah. So if you sign up for the Patreon page, you can suggest an album. It could be any album, literally any album that you Literally do, any album. Whatever yeah. you want to do. Um, so far, we have Smurfs done... Smurfs go pop, if you want. Oh, please. Yeah, but don't. <laughs> um, so far, we have already... Oh, Biffy uh, Clyro, the Vertigo. Yeah, got our chops around. That was one of the newer ones. Killing Joke, Killing ones. Joke. Killing Joke, um, Magic Preachers, Gold Against the Soul, yeah. Bon Iver's 22 a million, yep. Stand on the Shoulder of Giants by Oasis, Very Magic interesting Whip one, yeah. by Blur, yep. Typo Negative, Dead Again, yep. uh, The Anthropocene Extinction by... Cattle Decapitation. Uh, Cattle Decapitation. Yep. And Devin Townsend's um, Ocean Machine. We yes, did we did, didn't we? We, we yeah, did that. Yeah, yeah. yeah we've, we, we've done a few. But recently, some of the newer ones that have come up, obviously, we did have a bit of a break. We have done Virgo Bliss by Biffy Clyro. We've done a short strut to the Brassy Front by uh, Rotherham's This Girl. Yep. Brassy, I said this week. Yes, you did say brass. Yeah, right. That good. Yeah, I was um, I was going to do the this girl joke again, but I couldn't be asked. Yeah, uh, sign up just for the this girl joke. I think that's worth a pound a month, frankly. Ah, oh, <laughs> and um, uh, we've just put out neutral milk hotels um, in the aeroplane over the sea. Over the, I can never remember the name of that album. Obviously, that is a massive cult album. And yeah. going up very shortly, we should be doing what is maybe my favourite one so far, which was we sat down and chatted, not just about the soundtrack, but the, the Trent Reznor produced soundtrack to Oliver Stone's 1993, four, four, I think it's four. Um, film Natural Born Killers. Mm, really which interesting was, one. A crazy thing. Yeah, quite a long one as well. That's like a 45 minute one. Like most of them are around half an hour, but Mm. that was quite a long one. So yeah, yeah, it was good fun. Yeah, Yeah. kind of practice for... Oh, you didn't want me to say anything, but we'll do, we might be doing more. We're going to do more stuff with that. <laughs> we're going to so be doing more stuff. We're going to be fine. doing more stuff on on um, on the, the the Patreon page. So you know, uh, get ready for that. Get ready for that. Um, another week where we have to talk about really shitty news as well, mm. Renfrey. The kind of big story that has dominated um, music over the last few days is uh, Ozzy Osbourne's diagnosis of. Parkinson's disease. Obviously, Ozzy's cancelled a lot of tour dates, um, particularly those dates with Judas Priest, which were due to take place last February, I believe. It was meant to be last February. Oh, God, yeah, it was something like that. And And they were rescheduled for November this year, I think. And then they were kind of put back again. uh, Oh, sorry, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it was last November they were rescheduled for, put back again. Um, And to be fair, I mean, I don't really know if we'll ever see Ozzy, um, I don't think, we'll, it, it seems hard to think that you will ever see Ozzy Osbourne as a touring musician again. I, I, for the sake of his health, more than anything, yeah. I hope we don't. Yeah. I think, I think. He's 71. I man. think, yeah, I think he has earned his retirement, you know, yeah. and I think, um, you know, I'm not going to get into whether he should have retired before. I mean, people won't know my opinion on that, I'm sure. But like, you know, I, I think I think it's probably about time. Maybe this is the thing that will, you know, actually get him to have some rest finally. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I think what I really don't want to sound too, um, I don't know, heartless, but I wasn't 
I wasn't massively surprised considering well, how hard he's been pushed for so end, long. Yeah, and and what he's done, and I'm, I don't, I'm not just referring to the drugs and the alcohol, which is obviously something which will have negative effects on the human body, but also, you know, he had a quad bike accident. Yeah. Uh, in was it 2000? I think it's 2003, 2003, 2004 yeah. time. Yeah. Which nearly ki- like could have killed him. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and when you, you know, another per- that Rick Mel had a similar thing. Yep. Rick Mel passed away at a much younger age than Ozzy yep. as well. And yep. that was all due to the kind of after effects of, of that accident. And I mean, I watched the, the Michael Hutchins documentary. Over yes, as well. I saw. I've, I've still got the last half hour to watch, but yes. Yeah. And Michael Hutchins, again, you know, <clears throat> had a fall um, and never really truly recovered. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, you know, it, it's not surprising. It's just. Uh, it is sad and the, the interview itself watching kind of Ozzy and Sharon sitting there and Ozzy's quite stoic but you it was rarely on Good Morning America is yeah, that the interview yeah. you're referring to yeah. you, you rarely see um, Sharon getting particularly emotional in, in that way and it was quite an unusual and quite telling thing to say to see mm. you know um, it's really sad and it you know a world without the sort of any of the members of Black Sabbath in is obviously going to be a really, really tragic day. But, you know, he said himself, you know, he's not dying, but I do think the idea of ever getting to see Ozzy Osbourne up on stage again, and he's been obviously, you know, his shows us are famously hit and miss. I don't think I'm being too harsh in saying that. I, I think that's polite. <laughs> yeah. Um, like not to kick someone when they're down, but that's probably, yeah, yeah. You know, his, his shows have been hit and miss. Yeah, I, I've seen some great black. I saw some great black Sabbath shows at the sort of the midpoint of the last decade. Uh, but I also saw a bit of Aussie at Download that year, and I saw Sabbath at Download in <coughs> two thousand and well, I want to say sixteen, mm. and it was not good, man. Mm. You know, it was mm. not good. Um, so, you know, I. I uh, and he just doesn't strike me as a sort of person who should be made to, you know, like, have you ever interviewed Ozzy before? No. no. So I had about 15 minutes with him at the backstage at the Metal Hammer Awards in um, 2018, I want to say. Yeah, 2018. And he looked so, you know, he was a really, really nice dude. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like really, really friendly, chatty, lovely bloke. Yeah. But he he wasn't really sort of there, do you know mm. what I mean? Mm. Um and um and I did think it's amazing that this guy can get up how he is now mm. and be able to do even what he did at the, you know, the, I'd seen him literally the night before going, Oh, it's not great this. But on reflection, having the guy sat opposite me, I was like, well, you, you know, in comparison to what sat in front of me, it's amazing that he could even do what he did that night. Mm-hmm. So I would like him to retire, really. Yeah, well, I'd say, yeah, yeah, same. You know? um, and I just, you know, he, he's always going to be fucking Ozzy Osbourne. Yeah, of course. He's always going to be a legend. And, you know, uh, like, I mean... I mean, it's, it's interesting because there's this new Ozzy Osbourne album that's about to come mm. out as well. And I'm sure that's going to be painted in a different light as a result and all that sort of thing. But yeah, I mean, he's always going to be a legend of the scene. I mean, he was part of the band that invented um, heavy metal. Like, mm. you can't take that away from him, you yeah. know, and he doesn't need to do, you know, 
show after show after show after show. I don't think he could taint his legacy, really. No. Um, but um, he doesn't need to do show after show after show of diminishing returns. Anymore. I mean, if he could taint his legacy, let's be honest, he has. Mm. If, 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 he, if he could, he has. Yeah. Because some of those shows haven't been great. And people, you know, if Black Sabbath, if they turn around tomorrow and went, Black Sabbath playing at the O2, do you want a ticket? I'd go, yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Well, yeah, I probably would, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah. God, I'd still go. Yeah. Of course I would, yeah. but... Um, but I just wouldn't expect much from it. Yeah. But the fact yeah. of hearing those songs and seeing those people, that's one of the ones where I go, yeah, that, that won't ever get old, mm. no matter how bad it gets. You know, you can just sort of go, you kind of grit your teeth and go, fuck it, it's Black Sabbath. Yeah, yeah. You know? Um, so anyway, uh, we wish Ozzy all the best mm. uh, and whatever happens. And I hope he does what's best for him and his life and his family. Um, let's get to it then, Renfrey. People probably want to know about the big, big, big early tour of january so let me start darkest hour at the underworld <laughs> last night uh i went to see darkest hour at the underworld with a fucking great support bill actually yeah. uh in Mizier, yeah uh opening up who were very very good yeah we reviewed their album and of it's, course you've seen them live now yeah, yeah. so did were, that change it, your feelings yeah, yeah i thought they were really good yeah, um yeah. well it didn't even change my feelings i, I liked them well they? no sure but yeah yeah I, I i think um it's one of those where there were a few bits towards the end where I was like, fuck me, this band are great. There was one quite, I can't remember what the name of the song is, but that one with the drone bassy bit, mm -hmm. which I sort of was like, eh, yeah, but live, it was amazing. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. really, really just so propulsive and brilliant. They were very good. Um, I didn't really, I watched a little bit of Bloodlet. I sort of heard <coughs> a little bit of Bloodlet. You know, 90s hardcore is obviously mm -hmm. my thing, but mm -hmm. I won't needed to sit down um <laughs> i really like fallujah who seemed like an odd fit on that bill but are you much of a fan of fallujah it's kind of de tech death fallujah fallujah they've been on nuclear blast for a few years they had an album out a couple of years ago just before we started this podcast which was fucking excellent like they've been at the sort of peripheral they've been sort of tipped by people in the night felt like they had a bit of hype around them about sort of 2016 i feel like this has gone over my head has it okay mm. i'm not sure if it would be really all sort of thing because it is like mm. very sort of tech death um but and an odd fit for a bill with sort of majority being a metalcore band mm -hmm. so it's a bit weird but um like much better on record i have to say than live but but very good live and they played basically played the kind of co-headline <coughs> slot okay uh, their last i wish i could remember what their last album's called i could probably look it up doesn't matter um it's really really good and yeah they're like phenomenal musicians you talk about bands who have tracks and not being yep. able to pull stuff off live yep um i it's not really something that i ever think about when i'm watching about watching those tech bands i just sort of take a lot of it as oh yeah there you go but then you see a band like fallujah and i go oh yeah shit like they're actually playing pretty much everything live pretty much everything apart from a few of the um those what are they those like orchestral uh, synthy bits that sure in the sure 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 uh, all the guitar parts were definitely definitely getting played live so that was good um darkest hour are always brilliant celebrating 25 years of being a band i feel like i've seen them about five or six times since that last record came out a couple of years back um which i'm more than happy to i think i put on instagram that i would happily go and watch them again next week if they came back to the uk because they're just right. fucking brilliant um played a set of like of old stuff um and sort of deep cuts because it's their 25th anniversary yeah so um got like epitaph 
from um, the, uh, the what's the album the second album I've forgotten what that's called off the top of my head as well I know um, the last one okay fine um, and it, it, yeah it was really good it was really good they sounded great they're probably you know I thought about it I was like as what you think of what metalcore is like in flames and dark tranquility and uh, sort of Swedish melody yeah, yeah. thing mixed with hardcore they're probably the first band I ever heard do that right so I do have a bit of a soft spot for them and I feel like everybody will be ju- every band that does that gets judged yeah at a darkest hours level yeah fucking great so yeah love darkest hour yeah I would have liked to see Slipknot with you but I um you know. I kind of um uh I, I like darkest hour more than I imagine people would think I do mm-hmm. um and I've only really ever gone on the, gone in properly on that last record. But, you know, I, I do actually think they do something which I'm not the biggest fan of very, very well. And I can yeah. see that. Uh, that Fallujah album was called uh, Undying Light. That's it. There we go. Mm. Yeah, that's good, that record. <clears throat> yes. So anyway, go on, Renfrey. I um, hauled my ass up to Nottingham uh, Motorpoint Arena last night as we record this to see Behemoth and Slipknot. Now, um, I need to talk quite a bit about Behemoth. I mean, firstly, fair fucking play, Slipknot, for bringing Behemoth out um, on an arena tour with them around the UK and possibly Europe as well. Yeah. I think is it Europe as well? And America. And America. Mm -hmm. Fuck me. I mean, that is fantastic. And I was watching them last night. uh, And, you know, I will say that um, they had shitloads of production. Um, They sounded great. I mean, it took a couple of songs to get it sounding good. But, you know, it it clearly wasn't due to... um, a headline act uh, sabotaging it, you know, mm. because that does happen. Yeah. Um, more often than you'd think as well. Um, you know, so they were, they were given all of the tools that they needed to be excellent. And um, they were, <laughs> they were fantastic. Um, we've talked about on this show quite a lot, how, Um, getting an arena support slot can sometimes be a bit of a poisoned chalice Mm. because um especially if you're an extreme metal band it's not that much but i mean do have previous for that don't they they do yeah 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 in flames back on the iowa tour yeah 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 uh probably been others but i can't remember no like they've been they've been amazing and like they've they're clearly suicidal tendencies yeah no they're not an extreme metal band but they're clearly really really good to their support acts as well and give them everything that they need and i think that should be champions because a lot of bands of slipknot size don't basically um played a really interesting set behemoth like no blow your trumpets um no dog equals uh god equals dog you know yeah yeah it was like god you guys like such a typical like oh what i mean it it was awesome but like none of the quote-unquote hits it sounds like a weird thing to say with uh polish black metal satanic black metal but you know like yeah none of the quote-unquote hits or anything like that we did like Bart Bell and stuff like that of fire in the void uh walls of siberia but you know like did they end with chant for they they did indeed yes Yes, fucking, fucking excellent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, they had fire. They had a couple of screens. They had a, a backdrop, which was the size of the stage. You know, um, they just had everything that they needed. And the other thing that was brilliant, and so as I was saying about support acts, sometimes it's a poison chalice. I mean, it's very, very, very rare that you go and see a support act at an arena show 
And most of the time, the arena is, what would you say? How full is an arena for a support act generally, if you had to give it an average percent-wise? Uh, I mean, for an opener, probably for an like opener. less than half full, usually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to say 40%. That was mm-hmm. I reckon it was 90% full for Behemoth. Really? For pretty much their entire set. And I think that says an awful lot. They were given 45 minutes, or thereabouts anyway, because it was sort of a special guest, guest slot. Mm. And... Um, to me that sort of said that you know i think sometimes people go into an arena will listen to the band for like a minute and then go oh the sound's rubbish and then fuck off and have a beer outside but that said to me that people were coming in checking it out and staying because they were like what the fuck is this this is amazing Mm. and the fact that they're you know i mean they're probably playing to as many people in one night as they tend to play for an entire uk tour or european tour i mean the mass of that is not exact but you know um and it's it's fucking awesome like and they they were they were excellent they were really 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 good and even when you know they have the cojones not to break out their biggest tunes you know they only played one song from the satanist i know they did a bit of that when they headlined the forum they They did yeah 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 Yeah, there wasn't all that much from the satanist but like Mm. i thought you know, it was a really, really good set. It was really well received, circle pits and all this kind of thing. You know, people were going, I mean, it, it felt relatively headliney. Um I mean, we talked about the idea of Behemoth filling 5,000 cap Brixton Academy mm. last time when we saw them at the forum this time last year. And that felt like a, a possibility, but... Mm. absolutely nowhere near a done mm. deal yeah. the idea of them playing in a red line in the arena yeah. uh feels pretty absurd like kind of abs- like not i'm not saying you sound absurd but the idea of it feels absurd i know exactly what you're saying because yeah. 24 hours ago i would have said the same thing um but um looking at it it was like it was really awesome to go wow this music can work in this environment mm. black metal purists will probably be furious that i'm even suggesting it but yeah. it's sh- it, it is it I, i've seen the evidence it is possible um i'm not necessarily i don't know i don't think arenas are behemoths um natural place but it, it has shown that it can work i think um, there's a few bands from that last decade who could work in an arena i mean we're gonna yeah. spoiler alert we're gonna talk about holy fawn in the bit and while i would sort of bulk at the idea of solely categorizing holy fauna as an extreme metal band mm. they certainly have elements of it and mm-hmm. you listen to the sound of that and you do think well that that could work like you that last Alcest album that could that does things that big arena bands yeah do in a way it makes perfect sense if you look at i mean dimi borgia are playing tonight yeah. uh in london and like their massive symphonic metal you know mm. that huge expansive sound in a way it's kind of perfect for arenas mm. i guess you've got like you know, our blast beat is going to work in an arena, and and provided the sound is decent, yes, it should work. If then, basically, mm. but and I was also trying to think, you know, are Behemoth the heaviest band I've seen in an arena? The only other, um, the only other band I could come up with uh, talking amongst my friends about it was maybe Gajira, but then I think Behemoth probably are. Yeah, I think they're definitely heavy. more of an extreme band. Certainly more of an extreme band. I mean, when it comes to heavy. I think it's they're very, very, very close, but certainly more of an extreme. There, band. There's been a um, there's there's you can kind of count on well a hand and a half really of the the sort of the bands genuinely extreme bands who have kind of been plucked 
um, mm. from the places they normally reside and have had to go into arenas for whatever reason. I'm thinking of, I mean, In Flames would have been one when they were mm. on, well, I think they would have been on Reroute to Remain um, on that on that Slipknot tour they did back in the kind of early 2000s. And, you know, that was an, it felt like a very odd, to have them and I think it was Raging Speed on in flames and one minute silence oh yeah it was like quite an odd bill oh god uh, yeah with slipknot and then um fuck that was yeah i forgot all about morbid that. angel open for pantera yeah, yeah uh, i course. saw satiricon um opening for pantera yeah. this is satiricon pre kind of now diabolical so yeah, yeah, yeah. much more when they were you know uh, a corpse painty mm-hmm. black metal band of sorts um obviously napalm death have done a few of those tours where they've stepped outside of uh, extreme well they play Glastonbury you know mm-hmm. so there you know th- th- it's happened before but it always feels weird it certainly always feels like a an odd thing I mean I didn't see Morbid Angel with um with Pantera so I can't I can't really comment on that but I mean I I'm wondering if that would have worked very well at all I mean it, what will be interesting is to see something like Cattle Decapitation mm-hmm. opening for a band at Brixton Academy mm-hmm. or, or whatever. Um, I think, uh, well, I mean, I think some proof in the pudding, I was with someone last night who who doesn't usually go in for black metal at all. And she came away from it basically saying, I want to buy their latest album. I think it was like, she absolutely adored it. So mm. I think, I think that's an amazing sign. I think that's fantastic. I think know? I'm more excited. I mean, you know, I'm actually more excited about seeing Beamoth than in an arena than I am seeing Slipknot because I've seen Slipknot in an arena about you know eight times yeah it was kind of equal for me I was I was as excited as both to see both really um but, but I suppose uh, with the new Slipknot album being good much better than <laughs> yeah. certainly a lot better yeah. than the last few yeah. then I suppose it is quite exciting so yeah. um yeah how were they well um very good uh, basically um i suppose I, I mean i need to talk about production i guess lots of um screens and different layers um a little bit of pyro nothing kind of um nothing uh, like revolutionary or anything like that mm-hmm. but it was it was it did look very cool um something that i particularly liked the big kind of they're not kettle drums but those big drums that crap clown and uh how he's he's now been called tortilla man um kind of yeah. play the sort of um the the bodies of those drums i don't think that's the correct terminology but they they were lcd screens yeah i thought it was fucking cool like yeah. it was really really cool and lots of like you know maggoty imagery and all that kind of thing yeah uh, and you know it was a good show um i don't think it was quite as memorable uh, like they had that amazing circus style thing for mm-hmm. Was it chapter five or was it All Hope Is Gone? Am I getting mixed up? Uh, that was chapter five, yeah. Yeah. And then uh, what was All Hope Is Gone again? I thought, actually, I thought All Hope Was Gone. Oh, I can't remember. Anyway. All Hope Is Gone was when they first headlined Download and they brought that just, there was a big, uh, there was a big sort of flag thing. There was and Big flag thing. Yeah. And then they had, it was a lot of oppressive lights coming out at you. Yeah. I remember yeah, yeah. I'd say that this one was less thematic in that sense. But still very cool. Like like it 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 worked really well. And um, you know, there's kind of like um not escalators, but they, they had like treadmills. Treadmills, yeah. yeah, 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 and stuff like that. And Sid was farting about on those and all that kind of thing. And obviously you have nine members and like there's always something to look at and mm. something to see. Sid uh, download I mean I just to sort of chip in, I yeah. saw them at download and obviously people know if we 
listened to my review of them at Download, where I thought they were really, really good at Download. It's the best I've seen them for a long time. Um, and that was when I started to get the sense that we might be getting quite a good Slipknot album. Because yeah. having, I think, as I said during the review, having spoken to a few of the guys and them being not like different, a lot different mm. to how I've sort of spoken to them before. Uh, plus... Um, the download show, <laughs> but Sid at the download show just felt like someone bunking off work for a lot of it. Do you know what I mean? He was just running around a lot. I was like, mate, get back to your fucking things and do, you're not doing it. Go and get, you know what I mean? You know, you got someone that we go and work in office, maybe just keeps getting up and making a coffee. And you're yeah. like, what is yeah. he even doing? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. He was, was running cool. around a fair amount. I mean, yeah. I mean, that's an accusation that has always been um, pointed at Slipknot, you know, oh, they have nine members. Are they doing things all the time? Well, the answer to that is no, they're not. You know, the percussionists are not always playing, you know, mm. but like it would sound like a fucking mess if they were. So, you know, um, in terms of the new album, they played four songs from it. Um, if we're including All Out Life 5, uh, which were Unsainted, um, well, we're not including All Out Life, are we? Surely, because it's not on the album. All right. Well, it's just it came out in the same cycle. Mm, it came out about ten months before. I'd still say that's the same cycle. <laughs> 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 I mean, they were wearing those masks and all that shit, weren't they? Were they? For no, all they didn't have to reveal the mask. Ah, oh, dearie me. Let's have a let's have a punch up about it later. <laughs> um, this time with Unsainted, Nero Forte, they played uh, Solway Firth, um, which oh, that is Wicked such song. a good spiders, song. Spiders, go on. Tell me they did Spiders. Mm, oh, come on, they did Spiders, one. no. Um, and Birth of the Cruel. Oh, yeah. Um, felt quite safe, the material they played from the new album, but um, I enjoyed all of the stuff from the new record, um, and it, it was really good to see it. I, I would have been happy to hear more new stuff personally mm. um but then having said that there it was no um i mean it, it it didn't compare at all to how i felt when they played anything from the first three albums um yeah they played disaster piece second and uh i have never screamed I want to slit your throat and fuck the wound louder in my life. I mean, I know, scream that all the time. What a moment. Uh, you know, and I was just so like, oh my God. Um, then they went into Eeyore. Did they? Yes, fucking please. Wow. Uh, fucking bonus track from the uh, self-titled record. I mean, yes, but oh, I was fucking amazing. Uh, new abortion, you know, just taking out the songs that I hadn't heard in fucking years. Oh, that's cool. That's yeah. an accusation that has long been held against it, now that they don't mix their set list up enough. I think it's an accusation that I would tend to agree with, and and yeah. I mean, even this didn't feel. I, I mean, I fucking. Well, I, I want every band to play a different set every night. Now, when it comes to Slipknot and their show and stuff, that's not really possible. Mm. Um, but, um, you know, I, I it's it's a tough one. One of the things I was wondering about when coming here was like, because they, play, they played for 105 minutes. Their set was 105 minutes. I'd say they played music for just over 90 minutes mm. of that set. We're getting to a point now with Slipknot where... You're never. Get, you're gonna go where every time you go and see them, you are gonna go away and go. Oh, they didn't play that. They didn't yeah, play that. Yeah. They didn't play that. Um, and I was like, am I gonna come here and say they should have played longer? But then I was wondering, that's not really realistic. 
I mean, for the type of band that they are, obviously they're not as extreme and going crazy as they used to and stuff like that. But just Corey's vocals, I mean, listen to my voice today. Mm. Just Corey's vocals alone, I don't think we can get a Slipknot doing two hours, two hours, 15, night after night after night after night. I think they can do it from time to time. I think they did with the Knotfest shows. Yeah. But um, it, unfortunately, it just isn't practical for Slipknot mm. to do that, which sucks because... I would like, I, I feel like at this point I could see Slipknot twice in a row do two completely different sets where they don't repeat a single song and yeah. still probably complain that they didn't play something. It's quite rare for bands in general now, I've noticed, the kind of bands coming up headlining, you don't really get two hour, uh, two and a half hour, three hour sets like you kind of used to. You know, used to get a mm. like, I mean, who is it? Obviously, Guns N' Roses did about two hours 45. Yeah. I think when I saw ACDC, they did at least two and a half hours. Yeah. Um, Pearl Jam do three hours. Do, yeah. Pearl Jam do long old sets. Yeah. Um, but it, is, it feels like it's, you know, quite rare for any yeah. band to, yeah. to kind of go over that before. I mean, to be fair, length isn't always... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the way Steve just looked at me... <laughs> Set length is not always the be all and end all, as, as my um, exes have constantly referred <laughs> said to me. What yeah. am I doing? Um, uh, but um, it isn't everything. And putting together like a really good set list, there's far more to it than just shoving anything into it. Mm. But um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I would have loved to hear more, but then at the same time, I'm acknowledging that that's actually asking a lot. They play 17 songs. Yeah, this, I mean, that's... It's not no, bad. That's what I expect. Yeah, it's, it's longer than. Is it longer? Than, I mean, I remember the thing "Bring Me Horizon," and they barely ticked. I think they just ticked over the, like, with the the gap between them going off and coming back on for an encore. They just ticked over an hour when they did Wembley. Yeah, that's risible. Which uh, you know, sort yourself out. Yeah, sort yourself out. Uh, but man, um, yeah, so they played. Good. Yeah, the million. Um, for I mean the the last you know the ending with eyeless all out life duality sick people equal shit surfacing yes please um it was just fucking wonderful um um uh, yeah Uh, like it was really really i would go as far as to say since slipknot have been an arena act it might be the best slipknot show i've seen i think it's really unfair to compare them to how they were back in today today because um you know they're, they're a different band really weren't yeah. they yeah absolutely, um yeah. but uh yeah in terms of like the arena like you know chapter five onwards or maybe even all hope has gone on onwards i'm not it, it was around the same brilliance as seeing them at hammersmith apollo um on all hope has gone which which was very very good that was a an amazing show with machine head and um I'll be stood outside the O2. If I can't get a ticket on Saturday, <laughs> I will walk up there and just sort of stand outside the O2 hanging around like a sado. So I uh, hopefully fingers yeah. crossed. But it was it was it was fantastic. I mean, it's spectacle is what you want, slip not deliver, mm. and that's why they're massive, you know. Massive well, I'll spectacle. hopefully be able to report back with what I think next week. I'll do it briefly. I'll probably just go, Yeah, you were right. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's yeah. no need, is there? But we're going you can, to you can talk about Psychosocial because I can't be asked to talk okay. about that song because I think it's stupid. Uh, we're going to see um, Monster Magnet doing Power Tripping Fall, aren't we, on Friday? That'd be good. 
funnily enough, I'm as excited about that as I was about Slipknot, which is probably setting myself well, up for I, a fall. Loads of people are like, oh, while she sleeps, vain and every time I die, you're yeah. going to go to that, right? And yeah. I'm like, no, I'm going to get a nope. monster magnet. <laughs> yeah. um, which feels kind of ridiculous. I mean, I, you know, I've all that, I love every time I die more than I love Monster Magnet. Yeah, oh, yeah, a better yeah. band, Same. and I still Same. haven't seen Vane, but I got I, that album is so great. I thought about so fucking yeah, long. Yeah, I thought about um, going to see Vane and then maybe a little bit of Every Time I Die and then fucking off to Monster Magnet. But I don't want the first time I see Vane to be a support slot at Brixton Academy. No, it'll be, so I've decided it'll be not. Probably a bit plop. Yeah. Um, and then I have got Gorilla Biscuits on. Sunday as well, isn't it? Oh, nice. Yeah. Anyway, that's next week. We should probably talk about this week mm. and do some reviews. Um, our first review comes from Renfrey's favourite, uh, the, the, the band who made Renfrey's favourite album of the last decade. Uh, it's Caspian on Circles. This is the follow-up to Dust and Disquiet from 2015, um, which was your favourite record favorite of, the of the entire decade. Um Renfrey, since that is the case, we've spoken about Caspian before, we've spoken about that record a couple of times, but do you just want to fill people in on who Caspian are in case this is the first time they're listening to our podcast? Sure, they are a um, six-piece, broadly instrumental uh, post-rock act, although what the hell that means these days, it's getting harder and harder to define. Um, This is their, you did say this is their fifth album, Fifth album, So I think at this point they are... Oh, considered veterans i mean i i feel like i've always admired caspian and always thought they were a really good um band but for me uh once they released dust and disquiet their last record um it felt like that they went into the upper echelons of that um style of music mm. i would now put them alongside in terms of quality i would put them alongside your mogwais your cigarettes your um this will destroy you, bloody bloody blah, blah, blah. Um, Dustin Disquiet was a very uh, difficult album for them to make, I think, because it was it was effectively a tribute to their um, base, their old bassist, who was the co-founder of the band. So it was an album that was based around a lot of grief. Add on Circles is a very, 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 very different beast, and I think it's always difficult when an album, uh, when a band. F- um, follow up an album that you absolutely adore yeah i was going to ask you how difficult that has proven to you because obviously i heard dust and disquiet less than a year ago yeah. for the first time yeah, when yeah, you yeah, 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 trade yeah. Off. yeah and i thought this is really good yeah but i've not had much of a chance ever to go back and really properly listen to it i don't really feel like i'm that familiar with it if yeah. i'm being perfectly honest or any of caspian's material so this really uh you're last, coming in fresh yeah the last yeah, few yeah. days is the first time where I've really sat down and given it more than, you know, a uh, kind of passing thought, mm-hmm. like properly really in one of their albums mm-hmm. and sort of formulate a real opinion of them in the here and now. So I can listen to it and go, oh yes, this is a good record. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. Whereas you probably have a little bit more stock riding on it. Mm. Yes, very much so. Um, well, Caspian have done, in my opinion, the they've made exactly the, the right move. And what that move is, is basically doing something very, very different to Dustin Disquiet. Um, usually Caspian's records are quite conceptual. They're usually um, 
we've talked about post-rock albums which sound better as a whole and then when you take like a song mm. out of it um it will still have an impact but it will have more of an impact if you listen it to it as part of the record as a whole in sequence and all that kind of sequencing and all that sort of thing in post-rock is often very important not always but often this is an album which very much feels like you could take songs out of it individually and they'd have as much impact as um uh, uh as if you were listening to it on the album each song is kind of its own sort of individual island i guess mm. um and i have to say initially probably just because i i I tend to go more towards that more conceptual, journey, grander journey yeah. of an album. Bloody, bloody, blah. Um, I was, a, a, I mean, disappointed is definitely way OTT because I haven't been disappointed with this record at all. Um, but it, it, it wasn't. It, it's not the direction that tends to be to my towards my taste. However, having it, I mean, I've had it for about six weeks, mm. and. Um, just played it over and over and over and over again. And um, I absolutely adore this album. I think it's wonderful. Um, it's not, you know, it's not a dust and disquiet beta for me, but nor does it try to be. And I don't think, um, I think it's quite obviously not trying to be. Yeah, it feels quite different from what I remember of that record. It's yeah. certainly less, um, uh, well, yeah, like it, it was quite, dust and disquiet felt quite, a tormented record at points. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And that what you were saying about it being about loss and uh, grief and, and all those kind of things make, made a lot of sense because I do remember thinking uh, in my head going, they can get pretty heavy. And nothing on this really gets hugely, hugely wild or heavy, I would say, especially. It's not a, you know, it's not a, a massively loud album you know like you get some post-rock albums and I, I think they they can get exceptionally loud when they want to this feels like a much more uh is mellow the right word i'm not sure if mellow is the right word but definitely more relaxed record i understand a what you're saying kind of emo- like a more the mood feels much more inviting i think that i think overall yes i think the one exception to that would be collapser which is track six yeah collapse is great Oh, it's fucking brilliant, isn't it's it? It's fucking great. Yeah, yeah. Um, just, I, I'm probably going to let you talk more about this record, to be fair. Because no, you, you go for it. Work. But what I will say is the first two songs, I came in with kind of knowing that you would like it because how, how much you like them. Yeah. Uh, and probably thinking that you, you know, usually when a band as good as this and a band that someone loves so much comes back with another album, you got to fuck it up pretty bad for that person to be like, oh no, oh yeah. no, no, no. Yeah. And within a few minutes, I was like, I feel like Renfrey will probably really love this. Two tracks in, I was sold, so sold on it. I thought it was fucking great. Like it just, it feels like, again, we, we say it quite a lot about um, post-rock or instrumental music in that it's uh, cinematic and it feels like, you're walking along a scene in your own sort of private movie. And I think Mm, there is a grandiosity to those first songs and there is, they do stuff, how, how, how they build things is, I can't really put my finger on exactly what it is, but it feels like they're just better at building momentum. They're just better at filling space than a lot of the bands that, you've brought me um i have to say 
it dipped a little bit for me and I felt like I got pulled out of it when the vocals came in. Ah, that's interesting because I, I, I half agree with you, actually. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I think the last song, Circles on Circles, is a, very much like you said, a fuck it, it's a great album closer. Yeah. yeah. And a great song in isolation. And I think Nostalgist is the other one, which features... Yes, um, Kyle Durfee from yeah. um, Pianos Become the Teeth. Yeah, which... With repeated listens, I mean, I've listened to this album six times, six mm. or maybe seven mm. times now all the way through. With repeated listens, I like the song a lot. I think it's a good song. Mm. But it does shake me out of the, what you said about the, the flow of the album. It really shook me out of the flow of the record. I was so in on those first two tracks. And then when the vocals came in, I did go, well, this is quite different i i actually agree with you um one of the few um negatives because i i really didn't want to come into this and just be positive 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 mm. um and one of the few and it's a relatively minor negative point but yeah. one of the few ones was um yeah that third track does it, it it's built up so wonderfully with those first two songs over sort of 14 15 16 minutes um and then um I think that third track it doesn't put a full stop on it, but it does like massively put goes the brakes to show on. How good those first two tracks are because it's yes. actually only twelve minutes. Ah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> um, but um, it it, it it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't put a full stop on on the album at all. But it it does. Um, yeah, it puts the brakes on a little bit, and I think. Uh, everything you're right everything you're saying is right in isolation i think that song is brilliant mm. uh, i think it's actually really really beautiful mm. it's just in terms of sequencing it just appears um it just it just fucks up the momentum ever so slightly on the record i wouldn't want the song not to be on the album but i don't know where you'd put it i don't know how well, where I, the best place for it would yeah. be yeah i mean they released circles on circles before the album came out. Yeah. So I heard Circles and Circles and I was like, and that's when I was like, well, I, this is not what I thought mm. it was going to be at all. Yeah. But I like the song. Yeah. And I think it works. It's a beautiful a, ender. And it works as a great album closer. Yeah. And even though it is very different to the rest of the record, bar nostalgist, you know, um, I, I think th it's really good. I but think yeah, that but you're works. Right. It's yeah. Like, yeah, it does. But yeah. nostalgist, it does. I mean, uh, Wild Blood and Flowers are like the first two songs are so absorbing. Yeah. Like so They're unbelievably wonderful. absorbing. Wild Flowers kind of like it comes in on a pulsy, pulsing electronic synth and then jazzy kind of saxophones come in and it just builds and builds and builds. Yeah. And Flowers of Light is just a fucking it's masterpiece. Amazing guitar line that runs kind of throughout it, which sort of slowly yeah. morphs over the course of what, like five minutes. Yeah. And it, but just sort of stays there, which sort of underpins everything. It's fucking brilliant. Yeah. It's so brilliant. Yeah. That song. Yeah. yeah. That, those, that, that, like you say, that first one, two punch of the opening of the record, I was like, wow, this is exceptional. Yeah. And then, I went, oh, it's a sort of pop song. Not a pop song, but like a kind of folky. More like so. Folky, yeah, yeah, more, it's a more traditional song. Yeah. Well, you know do, I mean? do, do you know Pianos Become the Teeth much? Yeah, a stuff? little bit. Yeah. yeah. There, it, 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 it is, maybe it's down to Kyle's vocals. Um, he's a great lyricist and a great vocalist, but um, it does, it actually does sound like a piano's song um, from certainly from the last two records they had a massive they changed their sound quite exponentially um for their third album 
Um, but it it does sound like a pianist become the teeth song, and I I love pianist become the teeth, particularly those last two records. But it it does throw you a little bit. I have to say, I've listened to this out. I don't know how many times I listened to this album, but probably five or six times as much as you have. Yeah. Um, and um, it it be- it becomes less jarring the more you listen to it. Yeah, I think that's um, I think that's true. Yeah, but but, um, I, I, but I understand exactly what you're saying, and I do agree. It's weird. I feel like. The album almost comes in sort of pockets of two that are broken up by, because I think Collapser and Ishmael together mm, mm. really work well together. Ishmael is my favourite song on the record. It's, yeah, I thought it might it's be. Fucking it's, incredible. It's the longest one. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it is incredible. You're right. Yeah. And it's, yeah. um, and, and those two feel like, almost like, like, I feel like Wild Blood and Flowers of Light and then Collapser and Ishmael could almost be two EPs yeah released on their own yeah do you know what i mean yeah that, that they've been put in the album and they're sort of broken up by like circles and circles coming after that mm-hmm. and nostalgia's coming after it does kind of i mean obviously circles and circles doesn't break it up it just ends the record yeah. but yeah. it feels like a very definite full stop after you know after ishmael finishes mm-hmm. to end on circles and circles feels like a very definite full stop to yep. the record yeah 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 um I really like it though. Mm, I think mm. it's a really, I think every song on the record is good in isolation and the bits where it gels into an album or a sort of series of EPs is Mm. are are brilliant as well. Mm. Um, If it's better than the last one, I don't, I I don't feel qualified to say, Mm, mm. but I I do like it a lot. I think it's very, very good. This, I think it partly comes down to my, and I, I think it's kind of irrelevant, if it's better than dust on mm. disquiet or not. I mean, I almost didn't want to bring it up, but, um, but it's impossible not to bring it up after you've given it. When, yeah, yeah, when you would, uh, yeah, when you adore a record as much as I do dust and disquiet, it is very, very difficult to not compare the two. Um, and as I said, at the top of this review, they did the exact correct quote unquote thing mm. in not trying to make Dustin Disquiet part two. They've gone down a totally different route. And whilst initially um it was a little jarring for me, I, I realised that upon pe- repeated listens this is exactly what they should have done. Um and you know they've they've to be honest it's really encouraging to see that Caspian are still breaking out and doing new things. There's an out there's a song on the album, is it on sir on um Oh, and Onzra. Onzra. Yeah. Where so there's a podcast series that accompanies this um, album uh, called uh, Talking in Circles. Right. There we go. Very good. Conversations with Caspian. And um, it's very good. There's only been three episodes released as we record this, but it's very, very interesting. I learned on that that at, at any one time, there could be up to four guitarists in Caspian because they're like quite a lot of them are like multi instrumentalists and stuff yeah. like that, but they can have anything from two to four guitars. And for that, like most of them just dropped their guitars and took up synths just, just to take them out of their comfort zone. And the fact that like Caspian are aware that they need to keep changing things up and they need to keep progressing forward rather than doing the same thing over and over again. They're aware, they actually mention on that podcast, um, the, the whole kind of, uh, quiet, loud, quiet dynamic that is so 
prevalent in post-rock they sort of said that we give we have a rule where we only allow ourselves to do that once on every album it um, shows as well yeah yeah because you can you can see and that's why caspian are better than most of their contemporaries mm. because you can see that they're going right this is what everyone else does we, we, we can employ that trick once or twice because there's a reason why everyone does it but that that then let's try and figure out other ways to have an impact and an emotional resonance which doesn't involve using the same old tricks that you've heard time and time again. Mm. And that's why they are one of the best bands at doing this. They're very good. And this album is uh, is is great. It's fantastic. It's I mean, really good. You know, and I, I was thinking, like, we've had um, Trail of Dead. Um, I'm going to throw Beach Slang in there as well. Yeah, and we've is. had I'm this. We've had this. Um, aiming for Enrico, if you're going to throw Beach Lang in. Sure, sure. Well. I'm happy to throw Amy for Enrico. I mean, last year was a slow start to the year. We're not even out of January yet. And we've got four records that maybe are, would maybe more that we could call like excellent releases, which you definitely should listen to, yeah. I think is fair to say. Mm-hmm. It's it's a really good start to the year. Yeah. It's a really good start. We've to the also year. heard some stuff, I think, which is mm-hmm. fucking amazing coming out as well. Yep. So, yes, uh, there you go. On Circles by Caspian. Their fifth record is out right now. Certainly, certainly worth a listen, I would say. Even if you're not hugely interested in, in sort of underground, uh, underground, um, instrumental post rock, I still think this is something which you might dig. So go Definitely. and listen. Um, the next album comes from Higher Power, 27 Years Underwater, the second record from the Leeds based melodic hardcore crew, the follow up to 2017 Soul Structure, an album that I was pretty keen on. I have to say one that I thought showed more promise than anything really concrete. Yeah. But having seen Higher Power a few times, um, I thought they were loads of fun yeah. and they're one of many bands over the last few years, kind of cool young bands um, who have signed to Roadrunner. So this yes. album's out on Roadrunner. They joined the likes of Code Orange, Turnstile, Marmosets, Creeper, um, just some of their contemporaries that have come through um, in the last few years to, to sign to Roadrunner Records. And I guess uh, if you were to compare them, most one of those bands the obvious one is turnstile it's difficult not to i i, I remember the first time i saw this band actually it was with you um yeah. cancer bats, cancer bats uh, house of bands. house of bands yeah, yeah. um I knew I'd seen them a few times before that. Actually, yeah, I was I, always like they're good. I saw them at download on the fourth stage, and they were fucking excellent. Right. Yeah, really good. I knew of Higher Power, um, but for whatever reason, I just hadn't checked out the record and all this kind of thing. And I was there, um, and like this is fucking awesome. And I bought the record there and then and all mm. that kind of thing. Oh, yeah, I remember really, yeah, really, really enjoyed it. I think Soul Structure is a really good record. The the Turnstile comparison is very tricky to. Um, not ignore uh to, to ignore you know isn't it mm. um but that's fine because turnstile are fucking great turnstile are wicked. <laughs> so you know turnstile um, are a wicked band um i think what i would probably say straight away is turnstile are uh probably all we, oh, well no certainly on uh the last turnstile album they exhibited uh hell of a lot of ambition and a lot of yeah. different ideas um and you know time and space is one of those records that you go that feels like a blueprint a sort of uh, a fork in the road for what can be done with quite a limited genre yeah um and i think higher power have kind of taken that idea and 
ran with it a bit, uh, but I think it's quite hard to run as far as Turnstile did on that last record. I think, to their credit, Higher Power have not, um, you know, th- this doesn't feel like Soul Structure Part 2. No. This, it, it, they have definitely tried to do something a bit different and a bit new. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, the first time I listened to this record... Uh, I was really unsure about it. They have, um, well, to be honest, they've brought in some very, very poppy elements, haven't they? Yeah. I mean, I the first few songs they released, I listened to. Seamless was the first one, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. And, and I was a bit like, hmm, this is very poppy. Mm. This is very melodically inclined. Um, Not, which is, you know that's their prerogative that's yeah, fine yeah, yeah, that's you know, if fine. they want to do that as long as they're they're good uh you know the songs are good then you should write whatever you want to write um but i was like oh i wonder if it's going to be a sort of full-blown almost pop punk album i don't think it is no i don't think it is but there are definitely pop punk moments yeah for sure but there are some other moments as well that yeah. that are not like that at all yeah, which yeah, i'm yeah, yeah, delighted yeah. that they haven't just gone chuck the baby out of the bathwater yeah. or, or it this is a funny record because i feel like it's much more commercially viable yeah for higher power now and yeah. i think that was probably inevitable when you signed to roadrunner records um kind yeah. of kind of inevitable um that you would have the the sort of ability and the the sort of structure around you to be able to go what can we do that's going to get us in the eye in front of more people that's going to get us on more people's headphones? What can we, you know, I could see them going out and touring with, uh, I'm trying to think of like a newer, that's sort of someone like newfound glory. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think that would be a too weird a fit to put them on with newfound glory. No, I mean, uh, during soul structure. I, I, I don't think if, if it was during soul structure, I might have raised an eyebrow, but now definitely not. No, mm. But at the same time, I mean, there's songs in this like, um, like Passenger, which is, I think is a great song. Yeah. And yeah. that really remind. I mean, and there's a difference between pop punk and bouncy hardcore. There's a reason I put this H2O album yeah, behind yeah, us this yeah, week. I thought so. Um, and, you know, all of those bands from the 90s that kind of took hardcore and made it way more melodic. Dog Eat Dog, I know Dog Eat Dog is a dirty word to some people, not to me. Shelter uh, were a massive one. Um, uh on soul structure i thought you know the, the shelter comparisons were yeah. so clear in yeah, my head. yeah yeah um Civ, you know all that shit mm-hmm. and i love all that stuff quicksand you know? did you put quicksand in there not really because quicksand no. are more that's more sort of introspective and emo like yeah fair enough you know Civ okay. is is fun it's yeah summer yeah, yeah, punk yeah, rock yeah, summertime yeah, yeah. you know big chunky bouncy riffs and stuff and there's all that and um and self-rendered lost also features some really excellent, almost Jerry Cantrell, that, that kind of wailing, that grungy guitar tone um, before it all kicks off. And when it kicks off, like, you know, it's chunky. It's got plenty of chug and chunk mm. and bounce and that kind of, that New York hardcore swagger. Yeah. It's still on this record. So when they do go poppy, it doesn't bother me as much. No, um, I, I think on first listen, I was very much 
Well, I like half of that album and I really dislike the other half of the album. But playing it more and more and more, I'm beginning to like the whole thing a lot more. Mm. Um, There is one song that I do have to point out, which I think is a total failure. Um, And I'm curious about your opinion on this. Um, uh, The In The Meantime. Oh, yeah. Which is a kind of... A pretty acoustic-y emo ballad thing. Maybe something along the lines of what Dashboard Confessional would do, oh, that man. kind of thing. Uh, yeah. It, do you think that's a bit harsh? I think it's a little bit. I, mean, I think that's a little bit harsh compared to Dashboard Confessional. Okay. I would say more like crap acoustic Green Day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like, I don't think it's terrible. I just don't think it's, it's well what wet. higher power should be doing. No, it, it, it's pretty wet. I mean, that, yeah. Yeah, that does stand out like a sore thumb. Yeah, it? it's a really odd moment. And when I first listened to this, there were a few times which made me kind of look at the screen just a bit like, hmm, that's weird. But mm-hmm. I've, I've now that I've got to know the songs a bit better, I actually really like those moments. But that is, in the meantime, is a song where every time it comes on, like, no, it yeah. doesn't work. I mean, mate, I have to say, like, overall, because I... When, I, when we first chatted about this, I mean, I nearly went, or oh, having heard the singles, I was nearly like, mate, maybe we should Can give we it a miss because mm. I liked the last record. I didn't want to come in on here and snag it off. And I'm I'm really glad to say that I like it. Yeah, And I, I like do the too. ambition. I like the fact that they haven't completely done away, that they've, they've evolved and it feels like they got a bit more nous, but they've not given up the bounce. They've not given up the crunch from that first album. It feels like it's still connected enough to all the good things from that last album, Definitely. but it's got more of a sort of wider sonic palette. Most of it works. I would say you're right. In the meantime, mm-hmm. maybe kind of stu- like for our, per- and this is our personal taste. I'm sure there will be yeah. people who will go, oh, that's got to be the single. It's great. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I'm to sure be fair, be long-term listeners will know that neither me or Steve are massive pop-punk fans. I mean, I don't think that song is pop-punk. It's, it's not just... really pop-punk, is it? It's just kind of... It's a... The thing about High Power is it like... It's weird because it's a bit wet, that song. I can't really describe it any better than that. It's yeah. Just, it's a bit wet and they're yeah. not a wet band. No. Like the whole thing feels really kind of strutting. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It, it kind of bounces. Work. It's like it just... It just kind of glides down the road and sort of it's got this lovely sort of swagger to it. It's yeah. got this really fun, lovely swagger to it. Yeah. And then that song all feels a bit like, you know, a bit coy. And yeah, yeah it just doesn't well, but, really work. But band, very few bands are able to do everything. I don't think any band is willing, is ready, uh, able to do everything. Mm. And um, it just shows to me that Higher Power, one of those bands that don't do that particular thing very well. But, you know, it's one song and it's like three minutes of a yeah. 35 minute record or whatever. But but it is difficult to review this album and not mention it because, as you say, it sticks out like a sore thumb. Yeah, and it's because everything else is really good. Yeah. Even the yeah, sort of pop punk yeah. stuff, which is not what I would normally go mad for. Like, there is enough. But, I mean, but really, for me, the best stuff is where it's like... I agree. Yeah. And it's, you know, and, and it's got some really, really catchy melodies, got some great choruses on it. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't really, it, you know, the, we've compared it to Turnstile a little bit. I think Turnstile are, yeah, I would say way more ahead of higher power. Yeah. yeah but yeah. they're a few albums further down the line as well, aren't they? No, they're not. Well, now it's they've both got two. Yeah, that's true. Um, well, Turnstile have been a band longer than at least. Yes, definitely. Um, and but also, I would say, like, I mean, what what is really encouraging about this record is it it, it sh- 
they they've gone into uh, on a slightly different path than to, I mean when when soul structure came, whilst I responded really positively to soul structure I think I think if someone had told me it was a turnstile album I probably would have believed them to be honest mm. um whereas this uh I wouldn't believe you if it was a turnstile album but I believe it was influenced by turnstile but that's a yeah. good that's a good progression to have yeah it is. yeah for sure um and yeah, and uh, they're. I think this is better than the last record. I think. I think I agree. It's weird in that it's a weird one in that they've gone in directions that aren't personally to my taste. But if I'm totally honest, I think the songwriting is better. Yeah. And and as a result, uh, it's still a bit growing. More experience, a bit more now, like all those yeah. things is definitely true. It's still sounds growing. Good as well, doesn't it? Sounds, sounds really great. Good, yeah. It's it's uh, it's still growing me on, on me this record and it, it could be one of those ones that you know further down the line becomes a real surprise and i go actually that is a really fucking amazing record i can feel the, that it is still um you know I, I i i'm not i haven't my love for it hasn't completely uh blossomed yeah mm. jesus christ i put that in a wanky way but um yeah um you know i i I haven't got everything out of it that I, that I'm going to yet. And I can tell that. And that's really encouraging because, um, I like it. I like it very much. And I like it a lot more than I did the first time I listened to it where I was, where I was on the fence. So yeah, me too. Uh, I was kind of a bit worried about this and I'm Mm. glad. Uh, I don't really know why, because I didn't hate the, the sort of songs that came out. I just thought, Oh, it's quite different if they do a whole album of that. Or maybe not. But from from the people I've spoken to about this, a lot of people have been a bit worried after hearing the singles, and I don't think there's as much need to be as as yeah. you might think. Yeah. So there you go. Twenty seven years underwater by Howard Higher Power, not Howard Power. Howard Power. Uh, higher Power is out right now. Okay. Right. Here we go. Uh, let's move on to our next record. This actually came out last week. It comes from Pine Grove. Uh, the album is called Marigold. Came out last week on Rough Trade. It's the fourth album from the New Jersey Collective. Uh, it's also the first album the band have released, and I think we need to kind of preface this review with saying this: it is the first album since singer Evan Stevens Hall became embroiled in a controversy regarding his, uh, as he put it, on his own words on a lengthy Facebook post uh, before the band went off on a year-long hiatus. I think it was in 2017. Um, Evan Stevens Hall said he had been uh, involved in sexual coercion. Um, the band went away and have come back and... Um, <laughs> it seems like listen we are not for what it's worth in the business of trying to determine exactly what that was or what that no means. it's not been made clear what it was um but it's obviously something i think that we had to mention because one i think people would have tweeted us about it and gone why didn't you mention that and two for my money it's certainly something which has informed the record um which even evan has mentioned himself i think um if you want to read more into it and find out what the situation was, um, you should go and read an excellent, excellent piece in the New Yorker regarding their mm. comeback titled Pine Grove Stages, A Complicated Comeback, mm. which is a really fair and balanced piece, I think, which questions um, Evan a lot about what has happened in the last couple of years, uh, what did happen to make the band go on hiatus and why we should be um listening to them now 
I'm always very much of a um, separate the art from the artist type of guy. But it's quite difficult to separate the art from the artist when the art is the artist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is one of those bands, we've discussed it, um, Menzing, is, it seems to come up a lot, where it's like, it's a very kind of personal... Um, if you like it, it's probably because you have a sort of personal connection with the songs, isn't it? And the Pine Grove would definitely fit into that kind of, I'm not saying they're like a Americana like type of band, like the well, Benzingers. They are a bit though, aren't they? A little bit. Yeah. Um, but, um, but they're, they're different in that they, you know, they, it's not as raucous, not really as punk rock. It's not as raucous. Well, certainly this album, I mean, this album is by far their most kind of measured and mm. subtle to date. I mean, I have to say, I knew nothing of this. I really knew nothing of this band, but listening to it without any context at all um when i first listened to it the first song dotted line grabbed me straight away um mm. there's lyrics in it that i just thought were great which uh in the night when i feel your absence like a dotted line across my shoulder like a silver vision across the desert may no memory hold my head up now the endless night and i lift my head up where beyond my window a thread of light lives with manhattan island on the horizon no may no memory hold my head up nor may no fantasy fold my head in. And I read that and I thought that is beautifully poetic yeah, lovely. and a really lovely, quite romanticised um, piece of sort of text and, and lyrics. Um, and I thought this feels like somebody who has uh, some sort of something going, going on in their head. I didn't quite know what it was. I have to say... Um, uh, you know, as I said, this album was written after a huge period of self-reflection. It's a record to me of someone who really doesn't seem to like themselves very much. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and very similar a, to a lot of these kind of emo records, though, isn't it? Yeah, in that sense. Yeah, it is. Uh, yeah, yeah, it is. But I mean, I listened to this three or four times without knowing any of the story or any of the backstory about regarding the band. And then I found that stuff out because I was interested in the band because I called you and I think we had we had a chat and I said, I love this record. You did. I think yeah, it's yeah, fucking yeah. great. Which, if you don't mind me saying, I was surprised, mm. not because I don't think the record's any good because I, I like it very much as well. I don't think I like it as much as you, but I do like it very much. I think mm. it's very good. Um, but uh, I, I, did, I was really unsure about your reaction to this. Why, why is that, Renfrew? Because um, I would like to think at this point... Because you're Mr. Hardcore. Well, I would like to think at this point it's been more than... That has been more than proven. Over no, no, no. Yeah, I'm being facetious. Um, mm. I thought I thought it might be a little bit, bit too wet for you. And um, a band that it really reminded me of was american football yeah um i think it's in the same kind of emo realms as american football death cow for cutie, death cow for cutie yeah um, bright eyes bright eyes sure I, mean, I um, like all that stuff yeah but the, the last american football record you were ho-hum on yeah, the last was, death yeah. cow for cutie album you were ho-hum on so so i think latter you know kind of not so great latter day material from those bands uh, is yeah yeah but you know, but in in general, like it's not a type of thing that I dislike, and it's got some really interesting instrumentation, some great kind of extra bits in it. You know, the the, the, uh, sort of... the unique selling point with Pine Grove, I think, is they um, and they always have had this. They have a kind of country and western tinge mm. to what they mm. do, um, mainly because um, they have a recording lineup and they have a touring lineup. I don't know if you know this, but the recording lineup I think is I think is six or seven people. 
I think the Tory lineup's five. But regardless, um, they have a pedal steel guitarist in the band and they have a lap steel in yeah. the band. And just those instruments alone, just because of their close ties and association with country and Western, it just gives it this country and Western tinge mm. to it. Mm. Um, which, which I, for me, gave it a really different flavor yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it is as i say it is there you it's something like obviously you know my girlfriend's from south carolina mm. i have to listen to some country music sometimes yeah. do you know what i mean yeah um and it's it's been something which i've started finding myself like it's not really something that i would usually listen to like mm. modern mm-hmm. country music but i have found myself because of her listening to more of that stuff and and i'm starting to get a, a bit of a feel for it so hearing a kind of emoed up version of it I was like, yeah, I like this. This is mm. really good. It's really interesting. And I kind of played it to her and she went, yeah, this is really good. Yeah, and then cool. we both had the sort of revelation of this and we both went, ah. And she said, for what it's worth, and she told me I could say this, um, obviously, you know, we, we don't really know what went on in this sexual coercion thing, but she said it's not affected her enjoyment of the record at all. Obviously, that's just her. But she said um, it's not really changed how she felt about the record at all. What about it, you? A little bit. Has it? Yeah, a little that? bit. It's weird because I normally come on here and go, it doesn't matter, let people do whatever they yeah, want. Yeah, yeah, um, but, yeah. But you, you, you feel what you feel. Yeah. I yeah. listened to it and I thought, this guy feels like, a, you know, he feels like a a very sensitive young man. Um, listening to it now, it's a weird one because it's quite easy to listen to. It's quite an uplifting record in, in some parts. In some ways, yeah, some yeah, way. yeah. In some parts, yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's obviously a bit of remorse in this record, but yeah. that isn't the overriding feeling I get from it. Okay, what is? Um, it feels. I often get it's a feeling of a record of someone who feels like they've been a bit hard done by. Oh, um, oh, really? Yeah. Mm, okay. Like the second song, "Spiral." Mm. which is a great song. It's like 48 seconds long or something. Yeah, it? but it manages to do... A lot in 48 seconds. A lot seconds. in 48 yeah. seconds. Yeah, 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 and yeah. it's really good. And it just, it's a list of, you know, good posture, drink water. And it's yeah. and it's sort of, it feels like someone who's saying, I have lost the ability to function as a normal human being. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. that, you know, and that's... that's An amazing cool. thing to convey at 48 seconds. Yeah, it, it really is. And the last song, Neighbour, which is obviously, <sighs> yeah. I think it's a great song. It's the second to last song, actually, because there's a sort of instrumental out. Sorry, yeah. Um, but it's a kind of it's obviously a metaphor it's a kind of metaphorical story about his next door neighbour killing a bird and he says he loves the bird but he says he loves his neighbour as well and it's obviously meant to mean something else and it's obviously the words of someone who is incredibly torn up inside now I get the feeling some of this lyrically knowing what we know about this person or, or or from what I deduce a lot of the album to be about. Like I say, I don't think it's all remorse. I think mm. a lot of it is poor me. I think some of that might rub people up the wrong way. There were points on it where there were bits that I really liked that I heard in a different light. And it didn't really, you know, it didn't really affect my enjoyment of it as a piece of music. It just made me feel about it in a slightly different way. Um, and for what it's worth, you know, we can only point out whether or not the album is successful in conveying those emotions musically. Mm. And I think it is. Mm. I think it is. Um, and the more I listen to it, I do think well, this is a very honest record. Very, very honest. Oh, yeah. Because it's not going, oh, God, I was mortal. 
and I'm sorry. It's not doing that really. And in on one hand, you kind of have to go, okay, well, good. It's you're being really honest because I don't really feel like you are completely like this is an album where he goes, fucking hell, I've been such a dick, and I feel like I feel sorry. Do you know what I mean? I don't. I don't necessarily feel all that. And the more I listen to it and think it's an honest record, the more I go, cool. I'm going to find some of this quite hard to go back to, just because. It's not, it's not even that I don't like it musically. I mean, you know, like I say, sure, separate the art from the artist a lot of time, but so much of this is like, I feel that like here's him going, oh man, I've had a really tough time. Um, I think, uh, in a way, that's kind of fair enough. And it's a very interesting, I mean, it's this is an interesting record from the point of view that it's like, it's one of the first post Me Too albums, isn't it? Well, it I mean, all this happened to him. Around the same time as, I mean, we spoke about Brand New and Jesse Lacey. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, if you like it, like it. But, I mean, comparatively, not, that, not that from what I've read and from the way that the two people dealt with it, I think Evan, obviously, he says that this was a he was in a relationship and he did everything for love. And he was just completely unaware that what he was doing was wrong. That's something that I wanted to point out and say. Um you know, a lot of people had criticisms about the manner in which Jesse Lacey from Brand New dealt with those accusations. I personally think that it wasn't as bad as a lot of people have made out, but I do understand the criticisms. Ultimately, as well, just to sorry to just jump That's in, it. what Jesse Lacey did is is bad, isn't it? Like, what, do you know uh, what I mean? Is, is we don't really know yeah. the, the scenario. Yeah. Nobody's come out into the scenario of, of what happened in this situation. And also... Just before you move on, mm -hmm. I will sorry let you chat. I mean, right. It's important to say that this is obviously one side of this story. Yeah. We don't have an album or a piece of art chartering the events from the other side of the fence. Yeah. So I think it's definitely worth pointing that out. And I guess without wanting to sound like a, a cliche or anything, that is the the privilege, quote unquote, of the artist in the, mm. who is in a still continues to be in a position of power at this point. I think what I admired about Evan Stephen Hall and his statement, though, was um, he went into... Whilst we don't know what the accusation was and the nature of it and all that sort of thing, I don't think we need to. No. Um, he went into far more detail than he needed to, I think. Um, and he he could have... There, wa there was a sense with Jesse Lacey that because it was stuff that happened years and years and years ago, he was like, oh, well, that was stuff that happened a long, long time ago. And I've, you know, repented for my sins for that now. And like, it's something that I want to put behind me. And there were things that were in um, uh, Evan's status on Facebook, which which I thought... It, it, you didn't have to tell us that and that's not necessarily painting you in a good light but you've chosen to because you realize that you you did something wrong and you messed up and i think that uh you know you, if you have to have i i believe people should be allowed to be redeemed and and in to. in the manner we do not know what this thing was, but it does sound like it was a breakdown in communication. And mm. I've had plenty of breakdowns of communication in relationships in the past. Does that make me a bad person? I don't think it does, but it's, this is an inevitability mm. of, of relationships and people getting close and being together. Sometimes communication is going to break down, you know? And also uh, we, you know, although, it does all feel, I mean, I'm putting 
that now at the forefront of my mind when I listen to the record, unfortunately. And, and only because I've read that that's supposed to be chartering, you know, the last year of his life. And it yeah. feels like it's informed it. But really, I guess once you know that, you do go looking for stuff. And maybe I'm looking into stuff too much. Yeah, Who maybe. Knows? Potentially I am. I don't know. Uh, we don't really know. Um but a lot like a lot of great emo stuff i mean we talked about um neutral milk hotel hotel quite recently mm. and in the lyricism of this record there is that sort of esoteric quality there's a really fine line between having esoteric lyrics where you know that they're about something but you're not quite sure what they are and it just sounding like total wank which you can't relate to at all yeah. and i think pine grove um like natural milk hotel are one of those bands who brilliantly kind of you know that you know this is about something it isn't totally clear what it is but the images and the poetry conjured mm. are good enough and intriguing enough to make you want to look into it further rather than just to make you go oh i can't be fucked with this because this you you trust the author i guess you trust yeah. that there is something some I'm, deeper meaning in all of this I yeah guess. listening to the record i believe all of that and yeah, i believe it yeah. is honest and i mean do you like the, how do you like the record i do i i think this is a good record i'm familiar with their older material as well and it's an interesting it's a slight left turn for them yeah. um in that as i said it is their most their most subtle you know, it's like, not a uh, from what i understand is that they were a bit more of a sort of celebratory band they were to be honest with you steve they were a bit more pop punk i mean they're actually very good i actually always thought they were very 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 good pop punk sort of in a wonder yearsy type mm. manner um but they were a bit more um i mean they've always been an interesting band because of those country and western elements but on this record it's it's um the elements that they've been pushed to the fore mm. and um i had a bit of a different experience with this album when i first listened to it because it's um quite different to how i expected it to be do you know what a good comparison is actually is um something to write get up kids something to write home, home about to on a wire R yeah, this okay. is on a wire right okay. and their previous stuff is something to get home uh, something to write home about right that is that is that is the stylistic jump and oh, wow. almost exactly i've just thought of that but that is actually very yeah, very okay. accurate okay, i cool. would say um and um yeah the, the, i actually wrote in my notes i mean i was not sure whether to say this or not but in a way this band sound a little bit like jimmy world meets mumford and sons which might yeah, put yeah, off some do. people yeah, yeah. but it's not that i actually mean that as a positive mm. it's it's jimmy world with banjos it's mm. jimmy well with lap steel guitar and stuff like that and and it's cool it is a it does make them sound different from other bands like this there's um that band pile that you really really adored you know there are there are elements of pile yeah. here as well um, and I do think this is a very good album. I'm, I'm not sure if I like it quite as much as you, but you know, there are some amazing, amazing lines in it. I wrote down from Hairpin, I woke up grinding my teeth with you next to me, just smiling. My friend through Hairpin Bends, you do upend my island. You know, just yeah. like there's some really beautiful poetry. Yeah, and some really, in the, it. You know, some amazing songs on it. I think The Alarmist yeah. is, Dotted Lines is a great opener. Like, just grab, grab me straight away. The Alarmist, I think, is brilliant. I spoke about Spiral. Um, what's that know, last song pin. called the instrumental uh, marigold is the title track marigold six i mean minutes. yeah six minute marigold i mean that you know 
sorry to throw it into everything, but that is a post-rock song and it's fucking yeah, great. Yeah, well, it definitely is. Yeah, yeah it's Absolutely. fucking awesome. Yeah, like, I really, good. really like it. It's a really good enter to the song, uh, to the song, to the album. Yeah. You know. So there you go. It's a it's a bit of a weird one, that. Like, I've obviously come in and I feel like I've just spoken more about stuff that happened three years ago and I don't mean to do that because ultimately this is a good record. Yeah, it's a really, really good. really good record. It's a well-made record. It's a thoughtful record. It's a very accomplished record, songwriting-wise. And it is for better or worse, um, chartering with total honesty, a very difficult period in the creator's life. Now, is that enough for you? Is that okay for you to, to listen to it? That's, that's absolutely not my call. It's going to be your call. And if you go, do you know what? I don't feel comfortable doing that. That's fine. I still think this is a really good record and I'm pretty sure I will still continue to listen to it. But, the context of it um, changed how I felt about the record mm. and not necessarily changed how I felt about the record in a negative way, but it made me see the lyrics in a slightly different, different way. way. Interesting. Um, which is interesting, mm. but you know, I, you know, I am not here to, as we've said a whole bunch of times, I'm not here to, to pawn over, you know, pour over, internet tittle tattle we're not judge jury and executioner especially when there's no actual i mean we don't know we don't even know what the allegations are we know the nature of them but we don't know what the actual allegation is so i would say if you are unsure about listening to the rest of this record the two things to read are that new yorker article that you mentioned and um and uh his facebook statement which i which i actually think was you know very um well written and conceived and very thoughtful and ge generally generally very well done basically i have to say the last paragraph of the new yorker article is like so perfectly sums up everything regarding how people deal with um bands that have become mm. problematic problematic uh <laughs> It is very good. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. so let's move on. That is um, Marigold by Pine Grove. Uh, another one that came out last week was Holy Fawn's The Black Moon. Another bloody surprise release. Another bloody surprise release. The three-track EP that follows Hot on the Hills of 2018's Death Spells, an album that both Renfrey and I drooled over when we yeah. got our hands on it at the start of last year. And it's albums. never really gone away, I think, for either of us. It's no. a brilliant 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 record it was in my albums of the decade and yeah. um i feel like i listen to it constantly and i absolutely adore it and i adore this band and you do too and yeah. we're excited i think essentially what we've got here is three more songs that would have fit very snugly onto that record and if that mm. sounds like a diss then it definitely, it's not it definitely isn't. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um yeah i mean they do a thing that I don't like I, I I mentioned them earlier when we were talking about Behemoth and obviously they're very, very different from Behemoth. But oh, very different. Very, yeah. very different. But the fact that I can't really work out if they're an indie band or an extreme metal band, um, says or a sort of goth band says quite a lot really, doesn't it? I mean, you know, this is just wonderfully bleak, dark, heavy, anthemic, cinematic, stirring. Um They're experts at making beautiful things sound heavy yeah they really like are. that's 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 what i adore about them like i don't think they do it in the same way but something that i adore and i think you do too about deftones is how they make beauty sound 
fucking crushingly yeah. heavy. And Holy Fawn, in a slightly different way, do exactly that. Mm. And I ju- I'm just a sucker for it. I fucking love it. Brilliant. Yeah. I mean, the first track, Candy, yeah. is so somber and yeah. slow. And it's got this... And that is all just like this building wall of sound and it's got this symbol right that just kind of goes and goes and goes this sort of seemingly never-ending crash symbol that goes throughout the sort of most of the song Mm. and then this like proper brutal when that goes this massive scream comes Mm -hmm. in and it's not really been metal heavy until that point and then it's like yeah it's always just so foreboding and dark and then it all ends in this big sort of almost industrial drum tattoo it's fucking great it's like the sort of militaristic yeah that beat. sort of yeah. Mili- yeah yeah it's sort of this yeah oh it's great it's just such an amazing it's amazing that song yeah so yeah amazing. candy's wonderful yeah, yeah really really good song um tethered the second song it's more of an interlude really yeah, it's like um, two, what, two and a half minutes. Yeah, but it's a very pleasant one mm. and it ties it all together very nicely. Uh, and then it goes into Blood Pact, which begins in a very, very subdued fashion. 80s, uh, 80s synth, mm, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Like d- dark ass 80s. Yeah, absolutely. Synth stuff. Great. Um, but it builds into an almighty crescendo towards the end. Over, those screams over, come back in at the end. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like those. You know when the the Cure do those kind of and smashing that that sort of Cure smashing pumpkins wash guitar yeah. that almost it doesn't really sound like a, t- a guitar it just yeah. sounds like like walls shaking but like walls made out of silver mm-hmm. you know what I mean mm-hmm. it, like it, like you say it's heavy and beautiful at the same time and they just melt you with that for ages and mm-hmm. then when the screams come back in over like at the end to sort of play the whole EP out. I was just like, well, this band are incredible. Yeah, they're inc- they are they really are. Um, they really are fucking amazing. Mm. Um, and just you know, I mean, this is like you said, three tracks. It's fifteen and a half minutes, but you know, it's one of the probably been one of the best things that's been released this year. Yeah, uh, which I uh, think I, I mean, think, this is going to take some fucking topping for the best EP of the year already. Yeah, well, we had AA Williams was our favorite EP yeah. last year, and that came out in January. And yeah. I think I was like, that's that done then. Yeah, it? yeah, yeah. It's it's fucking wonderful um i don't know what it is is it a stopgap release is it is it um something to tie us is it because they've 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 just they're on tour in america with thrice and me without you and someone it's like a dream it's a dream lineup for me i'm very angry that i'm not living in america um but um you know is it is it have they released it just to have new stuff to play for that tour? I don't know, but uh, also I don't care. We've got new Hurley 4 material. It doesn't fucking matter. Yeah, it, um, it, like it's really good. And I did sort of go like, what is it? You know, is this leftovers from the last record or is it a new thing they just show? And, and often, you know, you get these EPs that come out so soon after you don't really know what they're about. And mm. it's just like something that's been hanging around. But this just feels fucking brilliant mm, mm. yeah fucking brilliant, it's awesome. really good uh, yeah i don't know what it is but i it's really really good the yeah. only thing i, I really please come to the uk home yeah i know right please fucking, fucking come over they haven't, have they? no mental no i don't think they've been over at all and and i, I just uh, considering holy raw re-release this yeah you would think they would come over yeah yeah, please twats. come over. <laughs> uh, no, you're not twats. Come over. Uh, I won't call you twats. You'll be welcome. It'll yeah. be fine. Um, 
So anyway, yeah, the Holy Four and the Black Moon. There's nothing else to really say about it. We, no. love, we love the we love the album. We love the EP. Yeah. Um, do not sleep on this band. They are exceptional. Yeah. Absolutely yeah. exceptional. Their um, first EP, Realms, is wonderful as well. Like yeah. they they haven't. I don't think they've released a bad song. Yeah. There you go. I would say that's four from four in three for me. Pretty much this week. Yeah. Really I mean, good week. To, uh, it, my least favorite release this week is the Higher Power record, and yeah, it's me too. and I, it's a very good album. So yeah. yeah, it's a really good week this week. Yeah, it is. So let's shit on that now <laughs> with trade off. Um, <laughs> we're going to start with the enemy. I think. Are we? Okay. Yeah, we have to really, don't we? Yeah. Uh, last week I gave you. Streets in the Sky by The Enemy, which was released on the 21st of May 2012. The third album from the Coventry-based indie rockers. Um, the Enemy, Renfri. Uh We have spoken a little bit about the mid-noughties indie landfill thing that mm-hmm. happened. Yeah. Um, the Enemy be kind of became a, a big band after the release of 2007's We'll Live and Die in This Town. Yeah. Um, that was, kind a, that of, was a debut, right? That was a debut yeah. record. Went to number one in the charts. Right. Um, they were kind of tipped to basically be the big next indie lad band of choice. Mm-hmm. The next sort of FF, XFM core band. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, they're going to be following the footsteps of Kasabian, the Libertines, Oasis, all that, right? Yeah. Went into number one. They supported Oasis. They supported Kasabian. Supported the Manics. Supported Stereophonics. They supported the fucking Rolling Stones. Fuck. At their O2 shows, right? That's a big deal. That's know. huge. So that's mad to be playing with the Rolling Stones. Yeah. Um, All of those bands you mentioned, maybe bar Rolling Stones definitely clearly influences on this band. Yeah, I would say so. Um, yeah, even the Manics and their... Yeah. More bloated period. Yeah. yeah. Um, the critics never really loved the enemy. No. But they were doing all right. And I would say, for what it's worth, there are some quite good songs on We'll Live and Die in This Town. Okay. I saw the enemy do um do you remember the two thousand and so it would have been when this record came out, the two thousand twelve Olympics at Hyde Park, they used to show uh, them on big screens and everyone would just was free to just go into Hyde Park and watch the Olympics on big screens mm-hmm. and then bands would play afterwards and I saw Feeder there at uh, oh, nice. Hyde Park and I saw The Enemy there once and I went down there as well oh, right. and the title track of that and there's some aggro I, there's some there's some pretty good songs on that first record albeit pretty kind of basic yeah. lad pub rock yeah. you know um, fast forward five years and the musical climate I would say probably due to a lot of the artless cack most of those mid-noughties indie bands are putting out was now dominated by hip-hop and big um, transatlantic female pop stars or big pop stars. Um, and this particular brand of, you know, bucket-hatted rock and roll <laughs> suddenly became deeply, deeply uncool. So thusly, along comes Streets in the Sky, reviewed incredibly negatively in fact it is the fourth worst album of all time according to any decent music which is a aggregate score website for reviews um the only things above it are viva brothers debut album don't know what that is miley cyrus's can't be tamed and chris brown's fortune are one two and three worst albums respectively um I read some of the reviews don't know if you had a chance to read some Uh, of these reviews i i I, for for the reviews alone, I am so glad you brought this in because some of the best 
music criticism I have ever read has yeah. been in regards to this record. I think the key thing with this album is it's real. Like I, I, I'm going to confess here, I I would have been stumped reviewing this record because. I always find that the hardest albums to review are the really bland ones where there's just nothing going on. There's no substance, blah, 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 blah. Basically the polar opposite of what we tend to try to review on this show. Mm. Um, and I admired so much um, big shout outs to the Drowned in Sound review yes. and the Quietest review. Mm-hmm. Um, Neil Kakani, formerly of Kerrang! and Metal Hammer, did the Drowned in Sound review, which... Oh, wasn't it? I thought it was John... Uh, John... Right. Uh, John Calvert. It was John Calvert who did Drowned on Sound. Okay. Okay. Yes. So it would have been the. Yes. Sorry. It was a quietest. You're quite right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and um, so, yes, you're right. I got that mixed up. Neil Kakani in The Quietest uh, who features plenty of zingers, but yeah. I have to say, nothing is quite as on the line as I've actually taken a bit from it. I'm going to read it now if you don't yeah. mind. Yeah. Yeah. Pity please. the enemy. So young and yet soon confronting the limits of their dunderheaded imag- imaginations. Warner Bros. have pulled out now, and this comeback record is make or break. But from the off, bands like The Enemy made a fatal mistake, have a fundamental misunderstanding of what music is, what makes music great. This generation of lad rock wannabes have all the fatal flaw inherent in this sham masquerade. Music is muscle memory to them. The idea that if you do this to a guitar, if you do this to a bass, if you do this to a drum kit... All these things that you've seen others do, what will come out will be great, proper music. It's so perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I I won't do all of it because I think you should go and read these reviews anyway. But the first line of the Drowned in Sound review is the unmusic the abyss staring back (laughs) which i think is perfect um these reviews are just wonderful they're absolutely incredible uh and uh, yeah really really admired them because writing about boring music i find extraordinarily difficult so Mm. for them to write these two brilliant essays on one of the uh, an incredibly bland record Mm. i thought was astonishing so hats off to them um but now I, you have to talk about yeah uh, <laughs> i found it's one reckon. positive review the, the, really okay what was that uh, <laughs> um uh it was by a writer called alan paul uh it was courtesy of local newspaper coventry live uh, <laughs> <laughs> <Of course it laughs> was. the band are from coventry mm. um just uh, uh and, and in a review that was littered with errors uh alan paul begins the review by calling other critics lazy souls so, you know, bit of a chip on his shoulder to begin with. He says that Streets in the Sky is the trio's strongest collection to date. Um, I just wanted to know what you thought of this. Uh, Clark has matured into a Premier League singer-guitarist. If you really must, you can pinpoint echoes of Jarvis Cocker, Paul Weller, even Fergal Sharkey, perhaps. And there are certain times when you could swear that the great Steve Marriott has been reincarnated with a Midlands twang, but at the end of the day, he's very much his own man, and the enemy, of course, are anything but a one-man band. As with all bass players, Andy Hopkins' contribution is largely subliminal. (laughs) What? (laughs) I know. Uh, But feel that rhythmic power reverberating through the frame of a 10-year-old golf... And you'll be in no doubt about his ability. I don't know what any of that means. To no, I don't know what it means. Liam Watts is nothing short of phenomenal. This is the drummer. Oh. He still looks like an undernourished fifth form art student, but a hod carrier in a perfect, particularly aggressive mood could hardly give the drums a more ferocious battering. <laughs> I mean, I just like it is like he listened to a totally different record. Um, I mean, 
okay. I don't know what to say about this album. It's boring. It's boring. Now, yeah. so the reason I put this in, I thought, I want to get something which is really bad to bring in. Yeah. And I actually Googled, a li- like, the worst albums ever. And this one popped up. And because, you know, I- I've got that first Enemy record, right? And I thought, it's not really very good. Mm. But, I mean, this is cr- this is crap, definitely. Like, it's definitely crap on mm. this. Um, but worse than the Kooks, the Fratellis... Jet? I'm actually razor light. I'm actually Frey, mm. the pigeon detectives. Really? I'm really Not glad. For me. I'm really glad you said this because I, I you know, I, I, I can't see any particular merit in this record, but fourth worst album on the aggregate website that you mentioned, I was kind of I was really I was expecting to listen to something embarrassing or um completely um I don't know on PC or something like I was I was expecting a car crash and all I got was something incredibly boring yeah. and I've heard loads of boring records mm. over the years and this is no worse than a lot of boring records that I've heard I I want to make it very clear that I am not recommending it no. but but you know it's a it's a 2 out of 5 but at least there's a two there, you know. I, I think I, I don't know why I'd give it a two. Well, why give it a two? <laughs> <laughs> it's a look, look, look. It's a one out of five. It's a bad record. This. It's a bad. Yeah, record. yeah. It's a bad record. It's boring. Yeah. The, the only things you can remember are, are rub like Saturday, Saturday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it's football chant crap. Right? Yeah. It's crap. This is yeah. a crap record. It's, yeah. it's not good. Um. The enemy have been better, have definitely been better than this before. Again, I am not going to sit here and go, well, you know, not this one, but do go and listen to We'll Live and Die in These Towns. I think We'll Live and Die in These Towns is, that's more like, that's more of a sort of five out of ten. Where right. you know, There's a couple of all right songs on that, but they're not, I'm not, mm. I'm not ever going to go and I saw the enemy for free and just stood there and went, oh, I think I know this one. And that was mm. it. Right. Mm. And they're pretty boring. Right. It's boring. But it doesn't enrage me in the same way no. as those bands that I just mentioned, the Kooks, Fratellis, Razorlight, the Frey, the Pigeon Detectives, the fucking, you know, uh, uh, Jet. Mm. That shit. It, it doesn't enrage me. In the it way doesn't those bands. enrage me at all, this album. I right. just find it really boring. Um, they also, I think it was around this time or maybe about a year before, got mugged off on stage. Um, uh, Tom Clark, their lead singer, did. Got mugged off on stage at the Enemy and Awards from the bloke from the horror, right? Right. Some fucking art school prick in an equally bland and bad band giving them shit for like basically their kind of working class shtick right. now the enemy have said some pretty silly things about how are oh, you know people didn't get us because we were too political previously yes uh, the, and I'll you know and that, we're yeah. the sound of you know real music and all that kind yeah. of naff crap yes but you know i'm not sticking up for this album it's really bad but then all that stuff's bad yeah yeah, and yeah, some yeah, of it yeah is much much worse I think what this is, is snobbery from the fact that they are very keen to play up their working class background. And I also think it's down to timing. Uh, uh, For me, it's primarily the latter. Yeah. Yeah. I think the timing is somebody needed to put a stake through the heart of this stuff in 2012. I think this is the point where the camel's broke, uh, back broke. You know, I think this is the point where it's just like, where they were just like, 
enough of this bullshit. I mean, if you think about it, this is 2012, right? Yeah. So when did that music start coming into prominence? It was probably around 2004. Oh, earlier 2000, than that. Yeah. I would say it's, you know, it's, you know, post-Oasis, it's massive, right? Yeah. It's basically been a, a sort of steady stream of getting shitter and shitter and shitter from Oasis. There were sort of a few peaks where the Strokes or the White Stripes came along. And I know those bands are very different to like British Britpop bands, but Oasis became Ocean Colour Scene, became Travis, became Coldplay, became fucking Embrace, became a couple of all right bands, like suddenly off the back of the fact that LCD Sound System and the, you know, the Interpol and the Strokes happened. Block Party. You got Block Party. You got the first Max, I'll give the first Maximo Park album, Editors. Yeah, editors, Art yeah. Brute. Mm. You know, there were some, which again, you know, are, are much more kind of artsy bands. Yep. Um, uh, but, what came kind of even the first Kasabian album is good. Okay. You know, the first Kasabian album's good. Um and then that's when it started to be every terrible fucking thing that you know, Stereophonics, who again, stereo, first couple of Stereophonics albums. Yeah. All right. This first two first I, one, I, I really good. like the first yeah. two. Yeah. yeah. And then everything after that is Bland slowly getting blander and crapper and worse. And, blah, 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 blah. and it is just, you know, by the time you get to, I'd say by the time you get to 2006, it's fucking over. Yeah. Like, this is awful. But it didn't go away. But it didn't go away. Yeah. Yeah. It was Maybe still, was you know, the, the in-betweeners soundtrack, wasn't it? It was yeah, still like, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? You have theorized in the past about Linkin Park being the... Um, Re the split the split yeah. in uh uh metal. metal yeah and kind of well give me your thesis really well, quickly essentially hybrid theory came out and brought in loads of people who didn't really like metal yeah and made people who really did like metal but kind of were willing to put up with corn oh. go well now nah, fuck this no you're either saxon or you're not metal and all these other people going, no, no, it's all right. Young guns are metal. Yeah, and everything. Yeah, those two yeah. people can never get on. And you've sort of um, already made this, without explicitly saying it, made this connection. But isn't this Oasis's fault? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's not Blur's fault, is it? Certainly not Blur's it's not fault. Not Pulp's no. fault. No, and not Radiohead's fault. It's, it's Oasis's yeah, fault. Yeah, and we and we have we said nice things about oasis on this show mm -hmm. if um Aquius comes on i will be singing the lyrics very you know they they were pretty decent with a tune i will say that but that kind of like that attitude towards shit lyricism and just like our oh, song doesn't have to mean anything and all that kind of thing i do think it worked to an extent for oasis but yeah. unfortunately, it was then kind of taken on by a lot of these. But I mean, you know, the enemy can claim. You can only do that for so long. Exactly. The enemy can claim they're political all they fucking want. But no, they're fucking not. This is yeah. rubbish. There's no substance to it whatsoever. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I just made, <laughs> as I was listening to this, wasn't the worst experience in my life. Certainly it was far from the best, but it was just completely meh for 40 minutes. Mm hmm. But um, I was just sat there going, this is Oasis's fault. 
It's it their fucking fault. I mean, it's definitely Oasis' fault. And I think as much as anything, it's kind of Oasis, the attitude that it's not even Oasis music. I mean, like a lot of it is Oasis musically their fault. I mean, what Oasis do is, I think one of the things I said when I talked to people about doing stand-up comedy is that I think the problem where I, when I was doing stand-up is people would suddenly see Russell Howard or Lee Mack on telly and go, he's just walked up and it looks like he's just talking and he's really funny and everyone loves it. Oh, that looks really easy. I can do that. Well, you can't actually. Yeah. You yeah. actually can't do that. It takes you fucking 10, 15 years to be able to even learn how to kind of be able to look natural on stage, let alone get the cane. You know what I mean? Like they make it look really easy, but it's actually yeah. really, really fucking difficult. That's actually the genius of those Yeah, comedians. that is genius. Whereas yeah. people yeah. who don't think who don't re- go, wow, what a genius, to, but how hard that must be to make that look so easy. Mm. People just go, that looks easy. Even, I mean, I, I, you might throw something at me, but even Michael McIntyre is... And, mate, I've said, I've been on, I've gone on record before. I did gigs with Michael McIntyre in pubs right. back in the day, for like 15 years ago. <clears> and <throat> I've seen Michael McIntyre be in compare gigs where he would do 20 minutes between the acts off the top of his head and it was just impossible for someone to go on after him impossible yeah because no one wanted to watch him though he was yeah. a fu- he was fucking phenomenal yeah but you don't you know you don't you don't see that on telly yeah and it looked yeah. really oh yeah. he's just come on he's just wobbled his head and gone you see these people and these people um and that's <laughs> it um yes we've got a man draw yes yes and people go Oh, I can do that. I can talk about the things in my house and wobble my head in a posh voice and sort of skip around. It's really um, difficult to come up with it. I know we're going on a tangent here, but it's really difficult to come up with a um, comedy routine about seatbelts, though, for example. Something as, as mundane as that. Like, yeah. it's, it is, yeah. I, yeah. I don't love my And the people could, like, you know, and obviously Noel Gallagher for a while was a really, really great songwriting absolutely right really really brilliant songs so her. oasis is the Mac- michael mcintyre of the indie world. yeah 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 i, th- I think i that's don't a, think that's a, a no i think that's a great show like bad thing to say because you know no, no, o- no. oasis you know their, their last few records i'm sorry she tweeted me there about even chemistry like i said <sighs> at the drive-in relationship commands my favorite album and he went well i haven't even heard heathen heathen chemistry properly well i have uh, and it's <laughs> atrocious well, I should still give it a listen before I start saying stuff about it. Being I'll give it to you on trade-off if you want. Yeah. <laughs> um, he was bit, he was joking, obviously. Okay. Um, but, you know, yes, a whole generation of people going, I have the right haircut and I wear the right clothes and I walk around with a chip on my shoulder. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I stand stock still looking moody. Um, and I play with my hands a, a Gib- back. Yeah, with a Gibson, playing a strumming on the Gibson and going on about how much I like the Beatles. Like... Mm. I'm Paul Weller. I'm I'm one of the I'm a proper band. Mm. Nah. Nope. Nah. Nope. Uh yeah, this is rubbish. It's fucking rubbish. But my god, it isn't you know, you're right, it's the straw that broke the camel's back, is what it is. It's not the worst record by one of the <laughs> it's not even the probably not even the worst record that came out from this type of thing that year. No, probably isn't. I mean, I don't want to find out what was but but no it probably isn't and 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 but it yeah yeah i think it was just the moment where critics in particular went please stop this fucking nonsense i can't take any more and actually those the the drowned in sound and quietest review drowned in sound review particularly does read like a man who snapped (laughs) and can't like it is brilliant one of the comments i mean most of the comments are like haha great and yeah this is brilliant but i did see one of the comments on the nil kakani quietest review that just said um 
uh, ear, ear mate, you sound well jealous. The enemy of bang, R, R, letter R, R, banging with no G on the end. Right. And that was his sort of comeback. You're jealous. I listened Jealous to, of what? <laughs> I listened to this on YouTube um, and uh, it was quite startling, the amount of comments which were like, oh, this tune's banging and all that sort of stuff. And it's just like, you, you're illiterate and you can't spell and you're rubbish. Mm. Football. Music for illiterate people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, there you go. So if you music like Michael McIntyre and Chelsea Football Club. It's, it's been said before, but music for people who don't like music. That's what it is, yeah, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. Anyway, at the other end of the spectrum, so that's uh, Streets and Sky by The Enemy. Yeah. Um, the complete the, opposite end of the, the spectrum. The other end of the spectrum, Renfrew, you gave me Meatloaf's Bat Out of Hell 2, released on the 14th of September 1993. At the height of grunge. He's done it again, the bloody idiot. He released Bat Out of Hell in 1977, right when punk was massive. Now here he is again, trying to get Alice in Chains fans to listen to him. It was bad enough that he's trying to get people who listen to The Clash to listen to his fucking bloated nonsense. <laughs> he thinks fucking Mudhoney fans are going to want to listen to this. Isn't it insane that this album came out the same year as In Utero? Yeah, like, that's fucking mental. Mental. Yeah. It um, sounds like those two albums weren't even conceived on the same planet let alone in the same year so um after a series of legal disputes throughout the 1980s meatloaf and uh and jim steinman yeah. who is the mastermind behind uh, the bat out of hell trilogy yes yeah. Hell trilogy got back together and decided to revisit the album uh that made them superstars uh, do you want to kick this off I, I, I'm actually going to um, take what you just said and run uh, with it a little bit because in an interview this this shows the difference between Jim Steinman and Meatloaf right Jim Steinman uh, uh, kind of um, well reasserted the continuation of the bat, bat Out of Hell world by saying I didn't call it Bat Out of Hell 2 just to identify with the first record it really does feel like an extension of that it was a chance to go back to that world and explore it deeper it always seemed incomplete because I conceived it like a film and what would you do without Die Hard 2 and then Meatloaf himself was more succinct and he told an interview at the time we called it Bat Out of Hell 2 because that would help it sell shitloads <laughs> <laughs> that's the difference between yeah. those two people right the yin and Beaut- the yang. yeah beautifully encapsulated in uh, Mm. one quote um god what can i tell you well like i said i have brought this in because i thought it would be an interesting to explore a little bit self-indulgent i apologize but interesting to explore the first album i ever purchased on compact disc wow. with my own money wow. um talk me through that um uh, that scenario and how you came to that decision i believe i was 10 years old or something like that um so this it would have been 1995 i'll try and find some pictures I'll, I'll try and find a picture and um put it up on the right act um podcast uh twitter there we go fucking hell <laughs> shit right <again>. <laughs> right uh, um god why did i buy this record what uh, i don't know you um were 10. Yeah, I was 10. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know. Um, I'd heard I'd do anything for love and I won't do that. 12 minutes. Should we talk about that before we, we go into it? Because I feel like that's almost a completely different conversation before we even get into the record. So shelve yeah. how you felt about it. But, yeah, so yeah. you heard it and then go on, go go back into 
Sorry, go on. It's okay. Um, I feel like I'm being directed. Yeah. Um, God, I I just loved it. It was so grand and ridiculous and, and operatic. And I don't know, I, I was trying to think about this on the way here. And I was like, I did a lot of Amdram when I was uh, amateur dramatics when I was younger. And the um, through line between Meatloaf, particularly the Bat Out of Hell stuff and musicals, mm-hmm. I think is very clear. Oh, definitely. Um, it does sound like, I mean, rock opera was basic that term was invented for the original bat of hell wasn't it if it wasn't i'd be surprised if it wasn't i mean it just quite possibly yeah i suppose queen but you know it it, it's so apt it's so apt um for all all of the bat out of hells um i'm not really a musical fan these days but i think at the time i probably you know i remember having i i think i got like joseph and the amazing technicolor dream coat um out of the local library on tape and i had cat's soundtrack on tape and all this kind of thing you know so it probably um had something to do with that as well Mm -hmm. um this album for such a long time and i think this is quite interesting something that i you know am mocked for to this day the length of the songs on this album is ridiculous so um i'd do anything for love is 12 minutes in it's mm-hmm. in the album version the unedited version they, they did two radio edits in the end one which is about five and a half minutes another which is about seven and a half minutes um but yeah the original version is 12 minutes and one second i believe and it kind of made me for a long long time i would pick up cds i'd look on the back and hope that they had the um the times for each track yeah, and if yeah, there was yeah. if there was an epic song or a couple of epic songs on the record that's what i would naturally gravitate towards and that is something which by tubular bells one of my old films hey tubular bells 2 is um uh, i don't know why it's always the sequels that i was into but Mm. i listened to tubular bells 2 loads around this time probably i fucking loved it you know um so uh oh i should do tubular bell stuff i'll bring in tubular bells at some point um but yeah there's just something about the excess and um the extravagance of this record that i loved and 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 you know maybe that is why i you know mock me all the time about it with post-rock and you did it in the caspian review you said oh yes that's your favorite song because it's the longest I think it all comes back to meatloaf. Fuck it. I, I, I really do. I think that is the reason. And I, 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 I blame meatloaf for having to review that mono album. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's where my, I think that's where the taste comes from. You know, I think yeah. it's, it's insane, but I think that is it. Um, I mean, this is such an extravagant record. It makes, um, my Chemical Romance is the Black Parade look like circle jerks or something like yeah. that, you know? And I don't mean that as a diss on the Black Parade. I'm just, I just mean it as a, this is a really extravagant OTT record yeah. made and released in a time where that was the exact opposite of what was fashionable or cool. Mm. Meatloaf's definitely never been cool. Um, but in a way, I have really admire him for that. Like, isn't that the ultimate punk rock expression? Just doing the total opposite of what everyone thinks is awesome and cool. Yeah, it kind of is. I mean, yeah. I'm not. I'm not trying to claim that Meatloaf's more punk. punk than yeah, Circle Jerks or anything like that. But I do think that it it, it falls into that punk ethos a little bit. Mm. I don't think Meatloaf. Yeah, I don't think Meatloaf is punk at all. He probably what? despises punk music. But I think know. we need to 
sort of rewind and talk about yes. the song. Yes, the song. Yes. The song. Yes. So I don't think for love, but I won't do that. Um, sold 716,200 copies in the UK. Nice. Stayed at the top of the charts for seven weeks. Mm-hmm. In the United States of America, it sold 1.4 million copies this is the of single. a single. Yeah. 1.4 million copies of a single Fucking was mad. number one for five weeks. It was also the longest song to hit the top of the charts since Hey Jude by the Beatles. Uh, it is the seventh biggest selling song in the history of German music ever. <laughs> right? It was number one in 28 countries. Yeah. Um, and it features the iconic video, which I've actually watched a few times mm-hmm. uh, recently. The iconic video, uh, which does not feature the vocal talents of Lorraine Crosby, we should say. right. Lorraine Crosby was a club singer uh, who was um, brought in to provide the vocals um, for the, the sort of female part. Uh, a guide, a vocal. guide vocal. So yeah. she's never received any royalties. From this, yeah, this song. you you don't get royalties if you provide guide vocals. Apparently, which yeah. is insane because her bit is wicked. Yeah, it was meant for Cher or Bonnie Tyler Bonnie or Tyler. Melissa Etheridge. <laughs> yeah. um, but and it was Dana Crosby who played the the beauty in the video, who mimed along to it alongside Meat Rose Beast. Video directed by Michael Bay. Yes. He of the Transformers movies, Armageddon, Pearl um, Harbor, Bad Any bad Boys. film you can think of. Yeah. <laughs> Michael Bay had his, his mitts on it. So yeah, it's a Beauty and the Beast video. Um, David Baddiel, I remember doing stand-up at the time and saying, she kisses a beast and he turns into meatloaf. <laughs> uh, summing up what most people were thinking. But it is a great video. Um, I was very different from you, Renfrey. I was a little bit older, so I was 13. Yeah. I fucking despised this bloody song. I hated it. I hated it so much. Every week I'd sit there and watch Top of the Pops and my mates would come around and we'd go, surely, surely. Like, we, we managed to work it out because like, we used to sit with the TV in the corner and there's a clock next above the TV. And if they did the top 10 countdown at like 18 minutes past, we'd all go, You've got to be fucking kidding me. You have got to be fucking kidding me. Like, there's 12 minutes left of this show. They're going to show this whole fucking video again. I don't believe... And we would sit every week and go, again, again, this fucking... What is going on? And, um, you know, after Brian Adams uh, and Wet, Wet, Wet as well. Yeah. There was there was a spate of... And I Will Always Love You by Whitney Houston. There was a spate of songs from films. Epic ballads. Big epic yeah. ballads becoming... Getting to number one in the UK during the the early 90s you know we say it wasn't cool it wasn't cool where we were sitting or where we were from but in the grand scheme of things in mainstream terms it is a fucking you know a slam dunk uh, that was the, that was the thing brian adams wet 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 whitney houston meat it was commercial but i don't think it was cool oh no 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 no, no you're right it wasn't cool definitely but it was certainly a way to sell a fuck, fuck ton, ton of records fuck yeah. ton of records yeah. um it's weird because i absolutely fucking hated this song with a raging burning passion i thought it was a stupid bloody load of old bollocks i really couldn't stand it i used to have a tape of i think it was like now 22 or something like that and it was on that tape right the took, full, full version yeah the full version wow. fucking half the tape and <laughs> <laughs> and i used to have a tape deck and the, the annoying thing about that you kind of fast forward for a bit and then you go, I don't want to listen to that one. So you'd fast forward and then you play 
and you'd be like, oh, it's still there. And normally you could sort of fast forward. And you'd, I would find myself going, oh, God, fast forward this. You fast forward and you go, right, that's been enough. And then it would just be ding, 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 ding. <laughs> I was like, it's still the intro. Fast forward some more. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. It's still the fucking yeah. intro. I fast forward some more. Would you really? He's like, I've been fast forward for, for six minutes and I've only just got to the fucking female button. You're like, oh my fucking God. I just want to listen to, to Open Up by Leftfield and John Lydon, the next song. And it won't go away, this fucking song. I did not, I did not like this song. But over the years, much like everything from the 90s, <laughs> I found myself really quite liking it. It's good, isn't it? It's really good. <laughs> I was listening to it on the it's way here. It's actually quite a good song. It's, uh, look, objectively, and I will say this about a lot of this record, objectively, it's a very well-written, conceived album, and I'll Do Anything For Love particularly is yeah. objectively a very well-written song. I mean, look, Adam Reese from Metal Hammer will probably beat me up, but I fucking hate power ballads. They suck. <laughs> Sorry, Adam, for listening. They're rubbish. But somehow, Adam did tweet me actually, and he said that uh, he he loves this record as well. This favorite. <laughs> All right, shock. Um, <laughs> um, he fucking loves power bands, and I'm always like, mate, if you ever stick on fucking black velvet, or if I could turn back time, or any of that shit around me, I'm like, oh, please God, no. <laughs> but I actually have found a soft spot for that. Um over the years but my god did i hate this mm. so i used to see it in the shops and i just thought how is this fucking cunt still like sell it like, it was number one for so long i mean again like to move on to the record the album 14 million copies sold worldwide five times platinum in the us six times platinum in the uk nine times platinum in canada two times platinum in germany massive oh huge absolutely massive you know huge. 16 years after doing the same thing with the first bat of hell becoming yeah. huge he went and did it again mm. i mean critically again i've pulled up some reviews that um was mixed mixed i'd say yeah but there, I mean, but there are some surprises there are some surprises well rolling stone gave it two out of five yeah. which they've now demoted to a one yep um harmless low octane drivel with insufferably long styming compositions and equally long names says rolling stone yep. but it wasn't totally panned no um uh, the kerrang wondered how styman's old-fashioned teen dream rock and roll fantasies would fit in with nirvana and metallica fans but there's an older generation of rockers out there who will quite properly worship this album and gave it four Ks. Yeah. Four Ks in Kerrang in nineteen ninety three. This is a Kerrang which has started to sort of open its doors up to well, obviously Nirvana and Soundgarden, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, but even Green Day and Offspring and, and No Effects and stuff like that was starting to get into Kerrang. So you wouldn't expect that iteration of Kerrang to be particularly positive about this record, but they were. I guess not. I mean, let's uh, let's remember that what mm, seven eight years previous um hadn't wasn't well I, it, that's one thing i was going to say but there was also brian adams was their album yeah. of the year wasn't it in yeah. 85 or 86 i can't remember now mm. can't have been 86 because master of puppets came out that year but uh, maybe it was uh, yeah 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 maybe it was i don't know um so it's not as if Kerrang didn't have precedent for that kind of thing. But but yeah, I mean, I think at that time it would have been like, eh? 
Mm. Um, Q Magazine gave it four out of five as well, didn't they? Mm. Um, I, to be honest with you, like, you know, honestly, when I say that I've loved returning to this record, um, I, I cannot sit here and honestly go that it isn't down to nostalgia. But I also can't sit here and objectively say that this is a bad album either. No. I think it is overblown and it is pompous and it is OTT and it is too long, bloody, bloody, blah. I mean, that even, is the point of it, though. Even the fucking monologue. Oh, Wasted youth. the monologue. Oh, my God, it's so good. It just goes on forever. It's like... <laughs> I mean, it says here it's two minutes 41. I thought it was, it's as long as the Irishman. <laughs> um, it's, um, yeah, that's actually performed by Jim Steinman. Jim Steinman, yeah. And it's basically a monologue about how he takes a Fender guitar. We're not sure if it's a Stratocaster or a Telecaster, uh, but it's one or, one or the other, and tries to kill his parents with it. Uh, it's fucking bonkers. It's absolutely, it is stupid. It is stupid. But do you know what I love about this record? And um, the haters didn't appreciate. The haters. (laughs) (laughs) Meatloaf and Jim Steinman would have been the first people to say it was stupid. Like that, but that was the entirely the point. Like, I, I mean, it's a ridiculous record. Um, life is a lemon and I want my money back. Yeah. I mean, a tune. Uh, I like. I mean, that's quite a good. Yes, it's a pretty good song. That and there's some real is. like. It actually is. I mean, the one for me, I have to say, there's some great. There are some great, albeit lengthy and very cheesy tracks on here. That riff and piano part on "Out of the Frying Pan" and is it's so oh, fucking yeah. broad. Is so Broadway. Now yeah. that sounds yeah. like the opening to a Broadway musical yeah. to me. I'm stunned they didn't open the whole thing with that but then i guess when you've got a song as big as then i guess you, you probably wouldn't but that's a really i mean i'm not big on musicals at at all at all but i can see hugely see the appeal in something like that yeah definitely um objects in the rearview mirror may appear closer than they are fucking great song well now this is where we're well, gonna Okay, because fine. rock and roll dreams come through. Objects in the rearview mirror. The other singles, I remember hating the other singles more than I hated. Uh, I would do anything for love, and I still, you know, for me, as I said, I don't like power ballads. I say I like the big silly songs more than I like the power ballads. Yes, I'm totally probably fifty fifty on this record. Yes, 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 yes. So, Half of it, I'm really not into anymore. But so stuff like you know, out of the frying pan into the fire. Um, life is a lemon, you know. I think is is cool, uh, but when it gets to kind of the more mawkish stuff like Lost Boys and Golden Girls, yeah, nah. I, I think I think even at the time I didn't like that song. Um, everything louder than everything else, mind. Yeah, fucking banger. <laughs> I fucking love yeah, it's it. Good. It's good. <laughs> everything louder than everything else. Yeah. Everything louder than everything else. It's so good. Um, would you call Objects in the Rearview Mirror a pa- uh, power ballad? I know. I wouldn't call it a. I a think power it's ballad. on the fringes. I understand what you're saying, but it's I don't think. It, yeah, it's it slow. Not a rager, is it? No, it's not a rager. Like everything louder than everything else. Um, I certainly agree that you know, rock and roll dreams come through. Meh. It just won't quit me. I mean, I probably didn't think these things as a 10 year old. In fact, I certainly didn't because I love this record from front to back, more or less, apart mm. from the last song. Um, but um, yeah, and it is, you know, when it's syrupy and ballady, it is incredibly syrupy and ballady. But when it quote unquote rocks or 
Rorks. <laughs> it probably should be said in, in this context. And this is the only context that you should use the word Rorks. <laughs> you drive me fucking mad. If I was like the enemy, I'd take it as a personal insult. <laughs> And they'd say that about like feeder or something. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Like rock. I fucking hate Fuck it. Off. Um, but make out like they were poison or something. <laughs> As I say, I think objectively it is. You know, I don't. I think that Rolling Stone review, for example, is a bad review because I, I understand. I totally understand if you can go look this is not to my taste at all. And I do not like this. And it, it has gone, this album has, uh, I have grown to the point where this album is quite far away from my taste. Now it's far, 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 far too cheesy for me. And, um, but in terms of like the ability and the way that it's put together and the just sheer mammothness of it. And I said at the top of this, you know, this is more epic than the black parade, which is a pretty epic record, you know, um, it's, it's it's a stunning achievement. It's, it's right up there, yeah. It's a stunning achievement. I can't really imagine anyone else being capable or of pulling it off to do it, really. Yeah, or uh, but definitely being capable of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I won't. Li- I very much doubt that I'm ever going to listen to it again. <laughs> but fair play to Meatloaf, and I can. You can. You would. I would. I kind of feel like I would rather have something like this, like you know, in comparison to we've been talking about the enemy, and we just went, oh, oh what's the point? Yeah. of being alive yeah. if this yeah. is what music is. At least this elicits some. It's not boring. It elicits some. You know, it's hugely cheesy. It's massively pompous. It's completely overblown. It's tiresome and ridiculous, and you know, and all of those things. But it isn't just someone sort of shuffling around. Which is what the enemy Absolutely. Is. I mean You'd rather have that than 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 that. Yeah, I mean I mean, you know, if anyone I don't know if anyone has in the history of the world. What A B D What's it gonna say that? Is that laughter or tears? It's difficult to tell it is by A B straight in the sky. By the enemy, straight in the back of L2. <laughs> I mean, actually, I think I did earlier today. Funnily enough, I, I, I mean, don't do that. No, don't. <laughs> it's a really disorientating drug. Having like loads of coke and, and loads of heroin. <laughs> so this is the coke album <laughs> and yeah i mean i don't think anyone's ever accused meatloaf of being boring but if anyone ever did like it you'd just be like well no that's preposterous that is it's not, not boring. yeah and i i totally understand people having issues with this record and i understand why and i agree with a lot of the issues but exhausting yeah exhausting it is boring. exhausting it is exhausting yeah. it's too long you know it's this ridiculous it's yeah very cheesy like ridiculously cheesy but incredibly well put together Mm. it really is and 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 in terms of when you know most people's first record that they bought with their own money it's usually really really embarrassing and i can understand why people might be might feel that i would be embarrassed about meatloaf bat of hell too but just in the like tracing it back and looking at the way that it's influenced my taste and stuff I wouldn't have any. I'm so pleased it was this record. It could have been so much worse. 
could have oh, been yeah. so much worse. Batman by Prince is mine, isn't it? So not embarrassing at all. Which we've already discussed. Yeah, we um, um, yeah I mean, you know, I, I've never wanked to this record, but you know. Fuck me, you'd be red raw <laughs> if you lasted all the way through this record. <laughs> Something to try. Uh, right. There we go. Okay. Is that the hand? Is that the blood from my knuckles or my <laughs> phallus? I can't work out anymore. Just a stump. <laughs> you couldn't last that long, mate. You couldn't. Um, although it would be difficult to come during this record as well. <laughs> so now I'm confused. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> Probably the best point to leave it. I yeah. Bat of Hell 2 by Meatloaf hilarious if you've never heard it definitely listen to it out of the two records that we've talked about on trade-off this is the one to listen to for sure for sure um anyway that's that's it for this week we're going to give each other a album now um Mm -hmm. for not for next week i'll tell you why in a second renfrey um i'm gonna presume that you're not the world's biggest earth crisis fan no so i'm going to give you their 1998 album breed the killers Things are going to get back on track. Breed <laughs> the week. Killers, okay. Breed the Killers by Earth Crisis, I'm giving you. What are you going to give me? You don't know, do you? I'm going to give you... No, I'm trying... Well, I was waiting for you to tell me because I wanted okay. to give. I wanted to do something which would be uh, which would be different. So I'm going to give you White Fields and Open Devices by Vessels. White Fields and Open Devices by Vessels and Breed the Killers. That won't be next week. That's it for this week, by the way. Go over to musicism.net so you get your courses. They're $9.99. You can get 25% off if you put Riot and Capitals in the checkout. The reason next week uh, we won't be doing trade-off is we'll be having some guests. The Loathe Boys are going to be in the house. They're from the band Loathe. They're not the Loathe Boys, but yes. The, the boys from Loathe. The boys from Loathe. Yeah, you know the band Loathe? Mm-hmm. They're going to be on the show next week. Yeah. Which will be good. they got a new album coming out, which we review the week after. Yeah, we've got Eric and Kadeem from uh, Loathe, and it's so going to be spiffing. That would be very exciting. We're also going to be talking about new albums from Leached and Square Pusher, amongst mm-hmm. others. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we won't be doing the Pet Shop Boys, ever. No, we decided we're not going to do the Pet no, Shop just, Boys. I just like the Pet Shop Boys. Doesn't yeah. mean that they're a right act band, though, does it? Sorry. They're not. Yeah, oh, I tried. I didn't try. I gave up. You, you, you gave up pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah, you were like, well, whatever. Right. We wouldn't do Duran Duran if they had an album coming out because. Yeah, are you, you surprised? Hear me going on about Duran Duran? You? you surprised me when you said that. I mean, we did. did, did um, we did uh, Echo and the Bunny Men. I mean, would you? Really... Echo and the Bunny Men are not one of those bands. Remember? Oh right, fine. Oh, let's. Yeah, sake. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> see you next week. Um, the the guys from Loathe will be joining us, and we'll be talking about loads of lovely stuff. Musicism. I've done that. Oh, sorry. That's it. That's over. We're over. We're out. Bye. Bye.